The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will review Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama Arena and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com, frequently updated. And with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, the world of New Japan does not stop. It's time for me to do the ceremonial opening of the can. And breaking that out. You know why, Jeremy? Why? Because we drinking on that Noah pack tonight. <laughs> yeah. It tastes good. This is the taste of victory right here. Oh, man. Sweet, sweet victory. Get the cigars out. Roll them up. We were smoking on that Congo pack. <laughs> <laughs> that Noah pack. Oh, man. <laughs> I'd make more jokes, but I don't know enough about the promotion to make jokes about them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two years in a row, back-to-back interpromotional champions. Pack, Shinihan. Pack them boys up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. So, yeah, I guess let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, Wrestle Kingdom 17, Yokohama Arena this past Saturday. Uh, we got to watch the, the show over at a uh, friend of the show, Zach Porter, along with some of the other guys from the Largo Loop. Uh, watched it on a, a Bima TV. Uh, I'd like to just say, if it didn't happen in the Tokyo Dome, it, it's not a Wrestle Kingdom, okay? 
you can you can market it how you want. You but put but the Josh, branding. we had the logo and we had the music. Yeah, the, the the freaking they opened the show with the Wrestle Kingdom music. I'm like, this is- <laughs> I was like, this is not right. This, that's not the that's not the move. But um, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna affectionately refer to the show as NJPW versus Noah because that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, the big uh, cross promotional show. Like you mentioned, the uh, second time in a row that uh, New Japan uh, is doing this show here with Pro Wrestling Noah. And yeah, I mean, overall, I thought I thought it was a, a pretty fun show. What do you think about it overall? Um, Overall, I don't know. I have mixed feelings, to be honest with you. Like, it, the show itself was fine. Like, it, it was good. I think part of the disappointment for me is the fact that they did call it Wrestle Kingdom. And so when you see something called Wrestle Kingdom, you expect to get Wrestle Kingdom. And it wasn't quite that. You know what I mean? It was like probably a grade beneath that just in terms of quality. Right. I Uh, mean, when you compare it to January 4th, Wrestle Kingdom 17 that we got, like... There's no comparison. Right. Like, that was a Wrestle Kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not even just the quality of the matches itself. It's also sort of like the presentation and the ambiance, the the vibe. You know what I mean? And that wasn't really there for this show. Um, What was there was novelty. And this was kind of a novelty-based show. We We discussed this last week with Justin, how a lot of fans in the West weren't even really fully aware this was happening or when or, or what, what have you, but this seemed to be a big deal, you know, domestically in Japan. And I think that was by design. Um, so there, there was definitely, but there's some things I didn't like about it. Like the feeling that this really didn't play that much into the overall kayfabe of new Japan or Noah. It's just kind of this, it kind of reminds me of like the Saudi shows. <laughs> like, when they, <laughs> like it's something that's going on. It's happening. It's a show. You can enjoy it. You can watch it, but like you don't need to actually see it. Right. Uh, to really, you know, cause it's the next day that, you know, Muda bye bye and new beginning in uh, Nagoya, like the show keeps rolling. So that was something where I'm, I'm kind of a little torn. The other thing too is like, I would prefer for a big show like this that involves both companies that there's more pizzazz, you know, more like ambiance and showmanship. Like I kind of felt like for um, some of the other bigger like cross promotional shows that New Japan was involved in this past year, like the Stardom crossover or like um, um, Forbidden Door. And even those two, I felt like could have gone more into what I'm saying, but this one was, it just felt like a new Japan show that Noah guys happened to be showing up at. And aside from like one half of the entrance color being green, you would barely know that this wasn't a new Japan show. I I want there to be more, I don't know, just like presentation the same way that we kind of got at wrestle kingdom. And even like the Congo series, like it was good from a match perspective, but like, what were the stakes? What was the backstory? Like, there just wasn't like that theatrics, that like showmanship that was kind of missing here. And it just kind of left me feeling flat when it was all said and done. Yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, the show was thrown together. It seems like pre last minute, like they kind of have announced, they announced that there was going to be a Yokohama arena show a few months ago, but they never said, Hey, it's definitely going to be 
New Japan. No, again, a lot of people thought it was going to be uh, New Japan and AEW. Uh, right. But yeah, it ended up being another cross promotional show of Pro Wrestling Noah. And then we didn't really find out kind of what the deal was going to be until January 4th when you had Congo invading the Tokyo Dome and confronting LIJ uh, during their uh, post-match comments. So, yeah, there was kind of a lack of build. And, yeah, they did try to heat things up with um, LIJ invading uh, Pro Wrestling Noah and then all the interviews with Kano and Kano going to Naito's uh, family's restaurant. But I don't think it was quite enough to fully heat things up and then like you're saying with the whole presentation i mean obviously obviously i thought like the stage and stuff was fine for for the arena and for the show but right like, overall it, it could have been probably done up bigger there could have been uh like i said more promos more stakes more hype more build into the show that you're uh, you're labeling a, a wrestle kingdom right that's exactly what i'm trying to like without maybe articulating it perfectly that's what i'm getting at like it just didn't feel I actually think they did a good job building the Congo LIJ storyline in a short period of time. But once the show was happening, it was just kind of like, even when that series, like, I don't know, there should have been like a huge announcement and like, I don't know the the boys from the back should have been watching. Like it just should have felt different. And maybe like a, a face off where they brought all the competitors out beforehand. And I don't know, something but it was just like, these guys came out, these guys came out, you know, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. And when it was all said and done, it was just over. And I was like, that was it. Like, I don't know, this should have felt more special. It just didn't feel special. It just felt like a fun side attraction, like a, you know, like a side quest when you're playing, the <laughs> video. you know, you go into the wrong tavern and the lady asks you to go pick up some eggs and, uh, <laughs> you know, or some shit like that. And you're like, all right, I guess I'll go do it just to like get it off the list. But yeah, get some experience points, get some, some XP. And then you come back and you're like, all right, well, I did that quest. That's cool. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was like a produce show on steroids. Yeah. Oh, that's the perfect way. Exactly. It felt like a, like a really high-end produce show which i don't know if you're doing maybe that's maybe that's how they wanted it to be but for me new japan versus noah congo versus lij there just should have been more investment in the production side and the presentation to make it feel more special like as someone who doesn't watch noah i know you know a few of the names the bigger stars i didn't feel like they were presented like top you know what I mean? Aside mm-hmm. from the fact of where they're placed in the, the hierarchy of the show, uh, obviously we're going to get to the Okada Kiyomiya moment, which is probably the major talking point of the show. And the thing everyone is, you know, um, has their, their attentions uh, upon, but I don't know, man, this just didn't feel the way I thought it would. I felt like they could have done a lot more here. Yeah, especially because they were charging, you know, the additional pay-per-view price either on New Japan World or through a BEMA TV. This wasn't, you know, free with your normal New Japan World subscription or your Wrestle Universe subscription. Now, we, like you mentioned, we watched this on the Abima feed. Um, no real complaints. We did think that the uh, there was a lot of lag and, and issues, and we thought it was the Abima feed, but we found out a few minutes before we went on the air that, it actually had to do with the way that our friend of the show, Zach Porter, uh, had configured his hard wiring, and he configured it in a way to where it couldn't buffer correctly. So that was the issue. It wasn't the service. It was his setup, which, um, you know, 
Thanks, thanks, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> we're watching matches and like there, there's whole segments that were getting clipped, like it was a you know a mid 1980s like you know wrestling tape. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were some uh, spotty moments, but overall, we, we saw you know, the whole show and. Right. What we didn't experience, though, we didn't get to experience Charlton and um, Kevin Kelly's commentary, which I heard kind of some mixed reviews about it, that there was sort of, it almost kind of felt weird for certain fans because they were very much presenting the Noah guys as like outsiders and kind of like the heels, even when there'd be situations where they're not actually the heels in the match. You know what I mean? Right. But I mean, to be fair, I mean, it did seem like a mainly new Japan crowd. Most of the new Japan guys were getting cheered. That's um, true. You, you had a cerulean blue. Uh, it was labeled Russell kingdom. So in a sense, I mean, it, it really was like a, a new Japan show and you just kind of sprinkled in some Noah for some, you know, extra flavoring. <laughs> yeah. As weird as it sounds, even though on paper, this show, this year's show looked more like a, New Japan versus Noah show. Last year's presentation was much more cross branded. This one literally just felt like a a straight up New Japan show featuring Noah guys. Right. Yeah. Well, let's start start breaking the card down here. So we'll start with the pre show. We had a uh, two tag matches to open up the pre show. So the first match we had both companies, Young Lions in action, and the New Japan. Young Lions of Kosei Fujita and Rei Oiwa defeated Taichi Ozawa and Yatsutaka Yano 12 minutes and 12 seconds. Fujita getting the, the Boston Crab win here. Yeah. Um, correct me if I, I don't know if you can recall, but which one was the more seasoned of the two Noah Young Lions? Was so, it, it was Yano. Ozawa? Yano. Yano. He's the one wearing the, the blue tights. Okay. So, obviously, Fujita and Yano wrestled to a time limit draw the year prior, and there was kind of some old country beef between those two guys (laughs) here in this match that kind of carried over. Ozawa, very fresh in his career. I don't have the exact number, but from what I recall last week and what I've been told, this is like a handful of his first beginning matches. But um, he looked really great from a physical standpoint. Very, very impressive physical specimen. And I thought all four guys went out there and had exactly what you would want out of a cross-promotional young lion tag team match. Lots of fire, lots of heat. These guys were jazzed up and just kicking the crap out of each other, extremely technically sound. And I I enjoyed this. I thought it was a really good tag match. Yeah, both uh, sets of young lions are really laying into each other, really really snug action there great strikes a lot of great uh grappling throughout the match and like you mentioned there was uh you know heat between uh Fujita and Yano based off of last year and you know all eyes are kind of on Fujita right now with him being a part of TMDK and being Zack Sabre Jr's personal young lion and uh he got the win here got the Boston Crab on Ozawa and then uh, post-match, we saw the continuation of the heat between uh, Vegeta and Yano as they traded slaps. Yeah, so, you know, who knows where that goes, but this match all in all was very good. Uh, one thing I did like about the show that kind of was presented the prior year, but not always, because there was a lot of... Um, there's a lot of matches that involved New Japan and Noah guys last year, and this year felt very much more like New Japan versus Noah, like 
proper. Um, in many of these matches, there was a lot of heat, and the guys really were, were like laying into each other and just kind of being a little bit extra stiff. And mm-hmm. they kicked the show off really much so in that vein with this match, and I, I appreciated that. Yeah. So then uh, after that, we had the tag team match of Daikin and Naba and Masa Kitamiya defeating Oscar Lube and Tomohiro Ishii 10 minutes and 28 seconds. Very, another really good pre-show tag team match. You know, you had um, Kitamiya and Ishii, Haas battle, just, you know, lighten each other up. Lube, you know, trying to uh, make a name for himself and just show all the fire that he can. Um, but Anaba and Kinamiya were able to pick up the win here. And um, down the closing stretch, what was really interesting was after Lube, Lube lost and was ousted from the ring, Ishii like, had enough of it and was like, all right, I'll take you both on and try to fight Anaba <laughs> and Kitamiya simultaneously. Yeah. Ultimately ended up getting beat up by the two of them, rolled out of the ring, and then he got beat up the entire way up the <laughs> All the ramp. way to the ramp. <laughs> and then, like, they continued to jump that man into the backstage. <laughs> I'm surprised that he was in any condition to compete in a multi-man tag team match the following evening because they beat the brakes off that boy. Yeah, the funny thing would be, like, Ishii is, like, fighting um, Kitamiya, and then um, the other guy, uh, Anaba, is, like, trying to, like, attack Ishii and Ishii's like no selling all of that as he's like fighting Masa. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, you know, from my understanding, Inaba is like a former like world champion from Wrestle One and like Ace, and obviously that company is like defunct, but you would imagine some of these guys that were like featured heavily in some of those like mid tier Perezu promotions might find like a better like footing. But from what I can tell, he's pretty much a mid-card guy in Noah right now. Yeah, and Ishii kind of treated him that way all throughout the match, and even his post-match angle, kind of no-selling some his Yeah, he was no-selling everything he did. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like you mentioned, Ishii got overwhelmed there, just continued to just get beat all the way to the back. Um, With that, you know, Noah tied the score. We are 1-1, ending the pre-show. New Japan 1-win, Noah with 1-win. Um, and then with that, they, they kicked off the, the main card with a tribute to Jay Briscoe. I'm sure most people know at this point, uh, Jay Briscoe, uh, you know, big Ring of Honor star, first ever um, one-third of the never-open-weight six-man champions in New Japan with his brother Mark Briscoe and Toru Yano, also uh, IWGP tag team champion with his brother Mark Briscoe. Uh, Jay passed away on uh, January 17th in a car accident where um, another driver crossed the center lane, hit his vehicle head on. Um, it was reported that he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Uh, daughters were also in the car. There's been some news on them that the daughters are uh, doing better, but just um, a very terrible loss in the wrestling world. And, you know, Josh, you know, we've been watching wrestling for, you know, about 30 years now, and we've seen several wrestlers um pass away way too early but i don't know man out of all the wrestler deaths in the last few years this one hit me really hard um i saw the news on on the 17th when it happened the tony Khan tweet that went out checked my phone and i i gasped and my wife was just like what what's going on and i was literally stunned like i could not believe the news that i was seeing 
Yeah. Um, this is a tough one, man. <laughs> um, it's not easy to talk about. I, I really can't totally pinpoint or put my finger on what it is specifically about the passing of Jay Briscoe that has kind of affected me more than um, other deaths. And I think we've had some really tough ones the past few years, not to, uh, not to compare and contrast, obviously, because uh, untimely deaths are always a, a terrible thing. And unfortunately the wrestling industry is chock full of them, but you know, a, a few that have been really difficult over the past years, definitely like Hannah Kimura, mm-hmm. um, the passing of Brody Lee and probably several others, but for some reason, and I just, I've tried to think about a lot of the thoughts I've had about it, but like Jay Briscoe, man, like really fucked me up. Like, yeah, dude, like again, like not to compare, but you know, normally you kind of hear us with death. You kind of feel bad, but I don't know. Like this, this one just really hit me in a completely different way. Like I was gutted. Like, I feel like I've, been able just because we get so many wrestlers to have to kind of handle and manage my emotions but yeah for this one i just i just couldn't like it just it just hit me with a wave and especially because we just saw him wrestle last month in one of the best matches of the year that dog collar match with him and his brother against ftr literally on twitter he posted a picture six hours before the news break of him dying so it just like literally came out of nowhere. These guys finally got, you know, long-term big deal contracts with the, the Tony Khan ring of honor purchase. And we're going to be featured, you know, all throughout this coming year. And it's just crazy that he's, he's now gone. I, I think, um, part of it is that we've always, like, I don't want to overstate it and make it seem like I've always been able to, be deep into ring of honor because that's not necessarily the case but ring of honor has been for me something that was at the forefront of my fandom at various different periods and one of the constants of that promotion like if you're talking about a mount rushmore of the company like the briscoe brothers I would allocate one of the the heads to both of them because mm-hmm. that's how instrumental they've been in that company's history. And I mean, um, for me, one of the times where I was most invested in the company was during that singles run that he had when he broke away and won the world title those couple times. And uh, I think that Jay and Mark didn't necessarily always get a fair shake mm-hmm. compared to a lot of their peers. Um, and I mean, obviously a lot of other people who are maybe more articulate have already kind of discussed this in depth, you know, what occurred with the unfortunate tweets and then his kind of road to redemption over the past decade or so. Um, but it kind of still haunted their career, regardless of any apologies or restitutions they tried to make. And they always just kind of seem like, the best kept secret um, from ring of honor and from that sort of generation. And I think one of the reasons it has affected me is because as we got older and the attitude era ended and 2001, 2002 started like coming around, it was like, well, WWE is kind of getting shitty. There's no WCW. There's no ECW. Like what am I going to watch? 
and Ring of Honor, as well as the X Division and TNA, were kind of like those two big things that were occurring kind of simultaneously for a few years there, where it was like, yeah, holy crap, like, what is this? Is this like, <laughs> people don't remember, like, those commercials that used to pop up for TNA back in the day were like, the, the wrestling that they were showing was revolutionary. Yeah, like, it's like... Who is this AJ Styles guy doing a shooting star plancha? Like <laughs> they were showing these guys doing stuff that you could not see on WWE, and it was really crazy. And um, if you think about that generation, sure, there are a few people that have passed, but by and large, most of the major mainstream stars from that movement are mostly still wrestling. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, yeah. you know, Punk, Brian, Danielson. Um, Joe, Samoa Joe, you know, all those guys. And suddenly at, at a very young age, 38, you know, um, Jay Briscoe's just gone and it was so, uh, so sudden, so unexpected. And then the details that were coming out and everything that with his family and his daughters, and it just really, I don't know, it just messed me up. Like I, I literally had trouble sleeping the next, like that night when it happened, mm-hmm. I, like I, I only slept like four hours and then, and I'm not even like that kind of guy or whatever, but like I just woke up and I couldn't get back to sleep and I knew that that's what was bothering me. And uh, I do think it was very good and classy that um, not just these two companies, but pretty much universally, almost every company across the board went out of their way to pay tribute and honor uh, to Jay Briscoe, and I thought the the cool kind of nice touch here was obviously that 07, 08 run when Ring of Honor was working with Noah. That's the time he spent with them, and so they had Marafuji in the ring holding a portrait, and it was of Jay from that period. Mm-hmm. But then when he was with New Japan, that's when Ring of Honor had the the working relationship with them, and that was like around 2015, 16, 17, probably up to like 2019. Mm-hmm. And the picture they had of him was from that period. So they had like the two with Tanahashi holding the portrait. So they had kind of the the representation from their two respective companies honoring his time in both of those different brands. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, him and Mark they uh, they were uh, Noah Junior Tag Team Champions, like I mentioned earlier uh, when he was in New Japan. Uh, first ever, you know, part of the first ever never six man champions, and then also. Uh, IWG, IWGP tag team champion with his brother uh, Mark Briscoe. So yeah, the tribute here was really nice. Yeah, they did the the ten bell salute and the ring announcer, you know, announced his name. You know, said you know IWGP tag team champion Jay Briscoe, and they played the Reach for the Sky Boys and played his music. And so uh, that was just a really great moment, a really uh, great tribute to Jay Briscoe. I, I we'll move on, but I would say if you haven't watched a lot of Jay Briscoe's work. Um, I'd recommend you go back and catch what you can. Um, there's a thread on Twitter where they've listed like over a hundred of his matches that are available for free just on YouTube. But even like his promos are outstanding. Like this guy was so underrated for, you know, the level of character and believability mm-hmm. and work that he presented. And um, I don't think he really got his just due or the credit that was deserving to him for what he was putting out there from a in ring perspective and everything like that. And uh, yeah, I'm going to miss him. I, I'm very, 
yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know how to like articulate it uh, correctly here, but it's uh, it just sucks. It's not cool. Yeah. Also, uh, New Japan did put all of his matches up for free on NJPW World. So if you want to see a lot of his New Japan action, you can watch it there. And also, like Josh mentioned, check out YouTube Ring of Honor. I know they've been posting several stuff on their YouTube channel as well. Um, so our our thoughts and prayers with uh, Jay Briscoe's family, his brother Mark, who's whose brother his birthday, Mark's birthday was like the next day after that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's hard to know what's even gonna happen with him moving forward with his career and everything like that because these guys are so I mean obviously they're like a year apart as brothers and so linked to one another but uh you know the other thing too is I keep thinking about his family and like those girls they're like in a hospital room trying to recover from like extremely severe injuries and grieving from the loss of their dad and then Everything else that's there with like survivor skill is it's not a good situation. Yeah. So yeah, definitely yeah, prayers for their family. Um, so kinda hard to move on from that, but we'll we'll try here. So uh, so after that uh, great tribute, uh the show opened up. We had the first matchup on the main card with Hiroshi Tanahashi, Satoshi Kojima, Takashi Segura, and Toro Yano. They defeated the team of El Fantasmo, Gato, Kenta, and and Marafuji, 12 Just minutes. announce them as they are, the Bullet Club. <laughs> uh, well, yes, uh, ELP, Gato, and Kenta are, are Bullet Club. Uh, they, and Marafuji. <laughs> they did have a, a Bullet Club shirt for Marafuji during the entrance. He uh, turned it down. Beginning of the match, they were trying to get him to throw up the too sweet and do the traditional, you know, too sweet but he wasn't having that you know he was kind of confused he's like i don't i don't know how to do it like he kept like messing around <laughs> with his hands like I, I can't do it i don't know how to do it uh I, well ultimately that ended up kind of being the their undoing for the reason that they lost this match because you know they wound up at a situation where yana was in the ring and marifuji i think had just tagged out gato was in there and they're trying to Again, get him to do the two sweet. He's he can't figure it out. Quote, quote. <laughs> People get beat up. Suddenly, the referee's back is turned, and just like I called, Yano low blow roll up one two three, and uh, Segura gun gets the win. Yeah, so I mean, fun match up here. Um, you know, nice nice little fun and match to to open up the show. A lot of fun interactions with some of the guys, and obviously. You know, we're still building to Kenta and Tanahashi. They're having a singles match on this new beginning tour. So got a little heat from them. Of course, there's still heat from them from last year's Wrestle Kingdom, the uh, the no DQ match that they had there. Um, so, yeah, good matchup there. Yeah, obviously we're building, like you mentioned, the Tanahashi-Kenta stuff. But the only thing that I didn't love about this match is, like, it's the opener. I kind of expected them to go at maybe a faster kind of high-octane pace, and it was – wasn't quite that. It was more like a road to eight man comedy tag sort of situation with like, and I guess we could have probably called that because we have the strange bedfellows with all these different personalities and teams kind of mishmashed one together, you know, mm-hmm. and it, and that definitely played out. And considering some of the guys that were in here, I like I wanted Kojima and like Kenta to like go at it. I wanted like Marafuji and like Tanahashi to do cool spots. And, we just didn't really get that aspect of it. Like it was definitely fun, but it wasn't like what I thought it could have been considering the guys that were involved. Yeah. 
So then uh, following that, the first singles match of the evening, we had El Desperado defeating Yohei 10 minutes and 57 seconds. This match was good. Um, it got very good down the stretch. Um, I don't have too much to add there. I mean, the one thing I did notice, though, the the juniors in Noah are a lot smaller than the juniors in New Japan Pro Wrestling, just generally speaking, uh, aside from Tadasuke. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, um, I do know that, like, across the board, like, juniors in general i mean the wrestling industry there was a time where guys that were like uh desperado size were considered super small you know what i mean right yeah and and someone that was like the size of macho man randy savage or like Shawn michaels or bret hart was considered like quote unquote a little guy and nowadays a lot of top guys like in different companies like say a seth rollins for example or will osprey they're like not bigger than the guys that used to be considered small in the business so there is a trend where the industry is more open to lighter performers, but new Japan has always kind of maintained this like 220 pound limit 225, And a lot of top stars in other companies are like 220, 225, And their like cruiserweight limit is like 205. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of showing itself a little bit with uh, the matches between the new Japan juniors and then like the noah juniors like across the board they all were way smaller than the than the quote-unquote small guys in new japan yeah but yeah i mean overall yeah i thought this match it, it was good i mean I, I don't really think yohei really impressed me a whole ton or blew me away uh um, no but it, it, was, it was a fine matchup desperado ended up working on his leg throughout the match which uh led to him getting the the pinche loco or excuse me, the uh, the numero dos uh, towards the end there that uh, that stretch muffler with the grabbing the hands got a submission, verbal submission victory there. Um, Yohei did have a, a cool reversal of the uh, the pinch or the numero dos. He rolled it into like a cradle. That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think either guy really overly impressed. But as far as just a fun little showcase junior match, it was fine. But this definitely didn't have the fire and heat that some of the the like the pre-show tag team matches had right and we did have a question here from okay okay 890 says yohei impressed me a lot in the english commentary kept bringing up a possibility of yohei in the best of the super juniors with noah and new japan seemingly not just being a one-time thing this year do you think it's possible yohei or another noah jr could be in the best super juniors what noah jr would you have in the best super juniors if you could choose um good question um I mean, is there a possibility of this occurring? Sure. Um, anything's possible, especially this year. There's a lot <laughs> of crazy things happening in New Japan. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I don't know that I think that that is necessarily likely. It's possible, but not necessarily likely. If I had to choose one from New Japan or from Noah, I really couldn't tell you um, because I probably ninja ninja man like, <laughs> i don't i don't know and that's just because i don't know enough about the new japan or the the noah juniors to give you a definitive answer on that it's not a company we don't follow them <laughs> yeah i mean yeah ninja mac definitely would be the number one draft pick for me second would be a guy we saw in the next match their current ghc junior heavyweight champion amaska um yeah amakasa amakasa 
I was gonna, I'm gonna butcher that. <laughs> uh, but or Amaxa, I think uh, that's how they're pronouncing. It. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so we'll talk about that match. So yeah, we had uh, Alejandro Amasca and Jinta Miyawaki defeating Master Wato, Risuke Taguchi, and Tiger Mask. Nine minutes and thirty-seven seconds. I thought that this was a little bit more spirited and high octane paced than the singles junior match that preceded it. Um, very impressed with the the junior trio from Noah. I thought all three of them were really great. Obviously, for me, the highlight of this match was that sort of mid-rope, I don't know, I, Matrix, Flosberry, Flop, whatever you want to Yeah, call I don't it. even know how you, yeah, you, how you really ascribe that. <laughs> yeah, Amakusa does this move where he looks like he's going to hit like an over-the-top rope-like you know, dive, but instead he grabs the middle rope and he goes... He like he flips like he's going like I don't know like the way Sami Zayn dives through the ropes he's doing like a suicide dive but while he's doing it he turns his body and and it's so crazy like I'm sure many of you have seen the gifts that are out there if you haven't definitely look it up it's one of the more impressive moves the the margin for error is so small you could easily I mean all it takes is a toe clipping the top rope or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And he's fucked. Like I, that's a, when they talk about like high risk, this has got to be one of the most high risk moves I could think of. And it's maybe not quite as flashy as some of the crazy stuff we see, like say Bandito or I'm sorry, not Bandito, Vikingo doing, but man, the precision that you have to have to do this. Like, I just can't imagine. It's really wild. Yeah, dude, it was so crazy. Yeah, he was yeah super athletic and yeah, he was doing a lot of these kind of cool, interesting maneuvers, and he ended up getting the win with a uh, spiral tap looking maneuver and uh, got the win for his team. So that put Noah up uh, two. So we're at two two at this point between uh, New Japan and Noah. And then uh, after that, we had uh, the match that has everybody talking. The match that has the world of buzz. So we had. Kaito Kiyomiya and Yushiki Inamura uh, going into a no contest against Kazuchika Okada and Togi Makabe. Uh, well, before you jump into it, Jeremy, let, let me bring up the two talking points that I think most people want to hear about more than anything else. Number one, Togi Makabe took exactly one bump in this match. <laughs> I saw people saying that this man didn't take no bumps in this match. I counted. I, I because I didn't know that the direct I didn't know the direction of where this match was going. So I was like, I'm gonna do a count meter, and he took one bump, and I was like, one, and another another bump never came. So he did officially take one bump. The other thing, Yoshiki Inamura is the lost member of you know, the new age version of demolition. This man is like a S and M character. <laughs> I don't know who decided to put him in that outfit. I last time I saw him, he was looking like a badass in a singlet. Suddenly he's looking like, you know, ax in the smasher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not, was not sure what, what he was trying to do with that outfit. Definitely preferred <laughs> the singlet he had last year when we saw him on this show. Uh, but yeah, then from there, yeah, you mentioned yeah, Makabe taking one bump. Him and uh, Inamura kind of open the shit, open the match up until they're they're exchanging strikes, and Inamura gets uh, Makabe down, and then uh, eventually Makabe tags in Okada, and uh, Okada gets Inamura. He has him like in a chin lock with his back turned to the Kiyomiya, 
And of course, you know, Kiyomiya's kind of, you know, yelling and screaming and trying to get his partner to, you know, get out of the out of the hole. And then eventually he comes in the ring and he kicks Okada square right in the face from behind. Well, well before he did that, he was he kicked Okada like three times in the back and Okada wasn't breaking the hold and he wasn't even acknowledging him. Yeah. He wasn't even like looking at him and he kind of just had this like shit like grin on his face like <laughs> Like, I'm getting under your skin by doing this. And then suddenly, like, boom, the kick heard around the world occurred. Yeah, I just remember all of us were like, oh, my God. Like, it, it sounded so hard. It was just a stiff kick. And we saw what happened he to Okada. So, he kicked him so hard. <laughs> yeah, dude, Okada's uh, forehead immediately welted up, was bleeding. And, like, man, that was a really stiff strike. And then from there... We had one of the wildest brawls. Okada was furious, went after this man, and these guys started brawling all throughout the ringside. They were throwing um, some heavy, stiff shots, and uh, you know they're trying to pull them apart. The young lines are trying to pull them apart, and they would just kind of keep jumping at each other, keep jumping at each other. Yeah, I mean, because um, we saw Kiyomiya go right to the apron. Right after the kick, like he walked out satisfied with what he did accomplished, and was standing back on the apron. And then uh, Okada got this look on his face, like I've probably never seen him have before. Just so much anger and vitriol, and just when he went to like knock this dude off the apron, he walloped him, and he mm-hmm. hit him like twice. He was like, "Bah, bah!" I was like, <laughs> oh my god! And then they just went into the most prolonged like breakup segment out like in the you know on the outside of the ring like and the, and the funny thing is like um well i guess okada was the legal man huh yeah he was yeah they could have easily counted out okada but i guess they didn't decide to go that way but um they like okada was just hitting this man so hard and then kiyomiya like laid into him even harder and they were just going back and forth this was so hate-filled and violent that we had people reaching out to us asking us if it was a shoot now obviously there was like the clear the clear signs that if once you break your sense of disbelief and you pay attention to what's happening these guys are working this is this is what is called quote-unquote a work but it was a very very convincing work shoot and i mean we saw these guys like at one point Okada like put him in a guillotine. Which I've never seen him do a <laughs> yeah, guillotine and then, before. Yeah, and then got in the full mount was just like bow, bow, palm striking him right in the face. Yeah, bro, like like in the glory days of Pancrase, like it was 1995, like just freaking smacking this kid. And, and then, then uh, Kiyomiya did that Suzuki one legged like drop kick to the <sighs> face. <laughs> he drop kicked him in the head, and like not like a fake drop kick, but like I've only I don't know if uh, have you. I don't know if you know Seth Petruzzelli. He was like this uh, MMA fighter that loved pro wrestling and sometimes kind of like filthy. Sometimes he would break out pro wrestling shit. <laughs> like one time he's in a wrestle or he's an MMA match. He did a flying drop kick to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's what that reminded me of. But like he drop kicked the fuck out of Okada, like right in the head. And there was one point where he slapped Okada so hard. And this thing just kept going and going. And like, we see a lot in WWE and like AEW specifically, you, the two big Western companies, you see a lot of like brawling segments and people r- rush out and break it up and then they keep going and blah, blah, blah. 
the, mo- I think the most prominent offender of this is like John Moxley. He's in a lot of these, mm-hmm. at least in the past year or so. And they kind of almost always suck. <laughs> this was nothing like that. This did not look like two guys like wailing at each other. This is not something you would set like my way as the you know background to like <laughs> yeah, this dude. was something like really 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 violent and kind of crazy and then when it was all said and done and like Okada was like walking out they threw the match out called it a no contest like Kiyomiya got on the the mic and was like talking about this man being a coward and he like asked him if he's really just gonna walk away if he doesn't want this fight like he's like bro you don't want the smoke yeah <laughs> like it was crazy and then like, Okada was like what turn around ran back at him they kept fighting it, it was just a yeah wild crazy heated brawl I, I have never seen this uh, man Okada so heated <laughs> here's how crazy it was we watched it twice back to back we're like alright now granted one of our party members showed up late and they had just missed this. We're like, let's run it back. Run it back. Rewind. <laughs> you, you need to see this. <laughs> he's like, really? And we're like, yeah, you got to see this. And like this, this was outstanding. Um, Dude, we it, have a lot of questions. It's so this. crazy. This match went six minutes and 35 seconds. And when we're looking on cage match, it had like a nine. People were giving us <laughs> like yeah. four and a half stars uh, for the six minute no contest match. That's how great this angle was. Uh, well, you know, I, I I try to tell you know all you modern fans sometimes a a no contest finish you know can work like in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> uh, like you mentioned, yeah, I had tons of questions here. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV did a match that went under ten minutes and ended in a no contest. Make it into the notebook. <laughs> I don't keep a notebook like other wrestling fans, but uh, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I I, I I'm a little torn because I'm wondering like does this qualify for angle of the year? Because to me, this almost was more of an angle than it was like a great match. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of consider it an angle and yeah, for me, like I, I have a hard time saying, Oh yeah, this was a four and a half star match. Yeah. The angle was incredible, but I don't really think I could really rate this match. Um, so for me, I could, I, what are you rating it? I'd probably go like four and a half. Really? Yeah, I mean, because I'm not bogged down by the traditional ideas of what makes a four-and-a-half-star match a four-and-a-half-star match. It doesn't have to fit within the parameters of a certain time constraint. It doesn't have to have the certain ebb and flow. Like, if it makes you feel something and you're entertained, then then that's what it is. And, like, this was incredible. <laughs> this was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was like, awesome. When we're talking about, like, sub 10 minute matches this is one of the greatest sub 10 minute matches in the history of wrestling it's right up there with giant and haku from nitro it's right up there with one two three kid versus owen hart from king of the ring you know it's up there with um uh kushida and hiromu the Mm. match where he got knocked out (laughs) yeah yeah it's up there and I, I I don't know. Maybe four and a half is too high, but I fucking loved it. Yeah, I thought this was definitely, so incredible. I think it's an incredible moment. I think it's a great angle. It's obviously setting up something bigger, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but yeah, really, really great moment. This thing's been going around Twitter, the clips and videos. I've seen, you know, one clip had like a million views. Like people, like you mentioned, people were who normally don't watch New Japan were like, hey, like, can you message me? Like when are you after done with the show? So we got some yeah, questions. Yeah, we have people that don't watch New Japan hitting us up and we're like, 
I thought like a Western, I thought some big Westerner star must have shown up on the show. Cause I was like, we've got like, you know, when they say casuals, I'm talking about real casuals, like people that haven't watched since like Wrestle Kingdom 10 (laughs) (laughs) hitting us up being like, yo, so uh, when that show's over, uh, I got some questions and I was like, oh my God, what happened? Who showed up? Yeah. I was like, did did, did Monet come out again? (laughs) Did CM Punk show up? What's going on? Oh man, yeah, we have a question here from yeah be thirty says does Okada being pissed off was that a work or a shoot? Um, probably both, man. Yeah, I mean he, he did got get kicked hard. He got kicked really hard, which uh, that probably helped fuel <laughs> his anger for for this angle. Uh, but yeah, clearly they're working. I mean, this man Kimi hit a, hit a German suplex <laughs> in the, in the middle of this brawl. Uh, so yeah, when? I don't remember on the cement, right? Uh, it was on the mat. It was on the outside. Okay, I don't. Yeah, I, I barely remember that. <laughs> um, and you know, one of the things too is they're kind of hearkening back to the famous. If you guys are not aware, um, there was a I I, I want to call it an angle, but it wasn't an angle because it was a an actual shoot, <laughs> a work turned into a shoot. But there's a famous match where Akira Maeda, who had been working in the first UW, he was originally part of the dojo then defected to the original UWF and returned with those guys to New Japan and had been working in New Japan for about a year or so. And Ricky Choshu and his guys returned to the company. And, like, that was going to de-push the UWF shooters. There was a lot of politics going on. It got really precarious. And during a six-man tag team match, um, Ricky Choshu is one of the biggest stars in Japan – has his opponent in a Scorpion Deathlock, which was like his finish. And while he's in the Scorpion Deathlock, Akira Maeda just shoot kicks the fuck out of him so hard. Breaks Ricky Choshu's orbital bone. The match ends in a no contest. Like it, it, Madness and chaos ensues. And then most of the UWF guys get ousted and go on to form UWF Reborn and they never come back to New Japan. And it's actually one of the most imp- I don't I, I I don't want to call it important, but it is kind of from a historical standpoint one of the most significant moments in the history of Perezu because it gives rise to all of the shoot style promotions that follow it, and then from their MMA in general, and it's the it's the big split in New Japan at the time. It's like a really 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 important thing that happened. And they, I have never seen anybody else try to like hearken to that angle or hearken to it using it as an angle. But that's what they did here. They had Kiyomiya shoot kick the fuck <laughs> out of Okada to elicit the same kind of re- reaction. And it was extremely effective. Yeah. Uh, question here from Slam Lord 69 Do you think New Japan are beginning to find their footing with the cross motion slash forbidden door potential? It feels like between Kenny vs. Osprey and the Okada vs. Kaito Kimiya interaction, they've struck goal and achieved heightened fan interest in creating scenarios that seem to really be capitalizing on the cross-promotional landscape and the potential that comes with it. I, I have to generally agree with you. I think that there's definitely some room for improvement, and it in not necessarily with the... Um, Examples that you cited, because I think they knocked those out of the park, but just from a general standpoint, I think that they could be doing a little bit better, but 
for the most part, yeah, they've been batting a, a really high average when it comes to the cross-promotional stuff. And we had a complaint all throughout the pandemic era when all these free agents were coming up and everything like that. And there was sort of an arms race between AW and WWE and different companies to sign these kind of freelance guys or, you know, free agent people that were out there on the market and new Japan, who was, you know, losing a lot of money during those quarters, uh, wasn't as quick to sign a lot of that talent and, or make them exclusive and things like that. And now we're in a kind of a position where a lot of the top talent has been signed to the various different, different companies. There's not the same level of free agency that there was a year or two ago. But New Japan's been able to leverage their working relationships with these various different companies to maximize the impact that they can get out of some of these major promotional-like feuds. And I think that's a really smart thing. Like, if you're not going to be able to sign a Kiyomiya or a Kenny Omega, for, for example, then putting them in high-profile spots with your top guys to build interest in the New Japan product and brand and create the perception that things are quote-unquote back, what's better than that? I mean, how can you do better better than that when talking about utilizing outside, you know, talent? Yeah, the, the Omega and uh, Kiyomiya examples he mentioned were definitely yeah, two great and promotional things that they're doing and. Like you mentioned, it's helping get that buzz and really build momentum behind New Japan. And a lot of fans are like, yeah, New Japan's back. They're doing cool things. They're like doing a lot of interesting things. So, yeah, they're really doing great. And, you know, with uh, Obari last year, you know, he kind of made the statement, yeah, you know, New Japan, we really want to do those dream matches that people are talking about. I want to work with other promotions. I want to give the fans some of these things they've been clamoring for. And we've been seeing that. And, and it's awesome. And I'll tell you something else, Jeremy. Um, I hate to be this guy, you know, because I'm not a hater when it comes to Western promotions like, say, AEW. But you do have to ask yourself, okay, look at AEW, for instance. And this is a company where they utilize a lot of outside talent. And they've done things that are cool to, like, the diehard fan, right? Mm -hmm. But not high profile. So, like, for instance... Two examples. Recently, we had like Chris Jericho and Ishii having a barn burner match out of nowhere in the midst of, you know, his Ring of Honor title reign on Dynamite. People loved it. They, they were talking about it, but it was like it was here today, gone tomorrow. Kind of the same thing with the Darby Allen versus Kushida match that just happened. These are things that just kind of pop up on the show. It's part of like Tony Khan's booking to just have like kind of unique and interesting things sort of always happening on dynamite. But what if they, but they've never been able to take a new, aside from forbidden door, they've never brought in a new Japan talent, put them in a high profile spot and then drawn real ratings or real money with it. As opposed to look at what new Japan does when they bring in outside guys that are like big stars, they put them in high profile spots. The diehards get super nervous because they're afraid that they're going to get big leagued by the stars from the outside <laughs> company. Yeah. And then what and win, lose, or draw, people are talking about New Japan. They're not talking just solely about, oh, look at how they got hoed by AEW or whatever, or look how they're getting like made to look like fools by Noah. 
it's like, oh, they're doing cool shit. And I'm interested in watching them. I think some of these other companies that have access to the outside resources, you know, like an AEW or like some of these other companies that are out there, they probably like do well to pay attention to what New Japan's doing because I gotta say, even just in the short period of time they're doing it, they're doing it better. Yeah, and like you mentioned, leading to like bigger shows, almost like bigger angles, bigger payoffs. And I think some of these other companies are afraid to promote the stars from an outside company on that level for fear that it will push you know too much attention on the smaller company but i i think new japan is kind of showing that it doesn't work that way like when you do something high profile it actually benefits you because it's happening in your universe it's happening on your show and people associate cool things happening like that with your brand right. you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh next question here from okay okay 890 says what do you think is the kayfabe reason for Okada being so much angrier at Kaito compared to how mad he was at Jay and Will? I don't know that I necessarily have a good explanation for that. Maybe that's not what they've taken into consideration either, but the one thing I could tell you is Jay White and Will Ospreay never shoot kicked him in the, in the fucking head. <laughs> Right, and I think also too from a kayfabe perspective, we've seen Okada kind of talk down about Kiyomiya and just kind of been, you know, the normal, you know, douchebag Okada. Yeah, maybe I don't really feel like wrestling this guy. I don't really know this guy. I don't watch this guy's matches and like. And before he kicked him, you know, like you mentioned he was no selling the boots. Like he pretty much saw, you know, Kiyomiya as this, you know, second rate, second class, you know, just some wrestler guy from another promotion that's not on his level whatsoever. Uh, and then he has the nerve to to kick, shoot kick him in the face. Potentially could have like shattered his orbital, orbital bone or give him a concussion when he has big matches coming up. And so uh, I think that what that really fuels into it. Yeah, and I mean, there's always that fine line of like kayfabe versus the real world. And you know, you don't. It's not always effective to be like this was fake, but this was real. But you can sometimes toe that line to great effect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was an example of that. Like, they, they're not winking at you while this is going on and being like, well, those other feuds with, with uh, Okada were pretty good, but this one's real. They're not going to that level. But you can see it from a visual standpoint and everyone's reacting to it. There is like an excitement. And I think that one of the traps companies fall into is overdoing this. If you do too much of this, it invalidates the company and the work that the guys are doing just generally, or it could even push the boundary too much to where things get too violent. And then, you know, and then you're like looking at like some crazy battle arts type shit, but <laughs> um, do done in moderation. It can be really effective. And I think that's what's kind of happening here. Also, they really have picked their spot because a lot of people were really upset, like truly, especially like deep Pearl heads and the Noah fans really upset about Okada's comments and everything and his treatment of Noah. But it seems to be just like the Osprey and Omega situation that these guys are doing business and everything that he said prior to this for the past year or so has all been a setup for this moment 
for and he's actually doing a huge fucking favor for a guy in Kiyomiya who is a really, really, really talented top end star, but has never gotten to that upper echelon when it comes to drawing numbers, when it comes to selling tickets, when it comes to capturing the imagination of the wrestling fan base. Like he's the ace, but kind of not really, you know what I mean? Like he's always kind of suffered in that role. And also being really handicapped by uh, Kiji Muto. That too. That's a big part of it. And so Okada has gone out of his way to like make this kid and really give him the shine. You know, we hear that statement kind of always used in like sort of a uh, tongue in cheek way. This is what get, giving the rub actually is like, he's giving this kid like some serious, serious rub. Like at the end of that exchange, the guy that looked like he was the top star, the one who was really like hungry and like the badass was Kiyomiya, not Okada. Yeah. Uh, next question from MJSPR says, can the young boy give the audience a breakdown of Okada's striking technique? <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> but you know what? I thought I thought Okada had better strikes than, you know, I don't know his, like, sporting background too much. Didn't he play baseball or something like that? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. But he didn't, like, those palm strikes he threw were not bad. And, like, some of those clubbing strikes he threw, I mean, obviously they're kind of, like, flailing, but, like, Pretty effective. Like Dude, I didn't. He, th- I, he was laying into him. <laughs> he was laying into him. So, yeah. yeah uh, I don't know. I thought both guys looked pretty good here <laughs> in this context. Yeah. And then uh, last question on this uh, matchup here from front of the show, James Boyd. He says, "Will I have to wait until late February, or will Josh right now state that he was wrong AF about agreeing with Master Watto's comments on Kaito Kiyomiya?" If you forgot Watto's quote, here it is. Seeing Kaito Kiyomiya in the main event of Wrestling Kingdom 16 Night 3, I really didn't get it. Seeing that match, I didn't see what makes him a top guy. I don't think he's any better than me, certainly. And James says, come forth and unburden yourself from this cap. <laughs> All right, so like, let me state my position on that. <laughs> from a mechanical standpoint, not talking about fire, not talking about facial, not talking about like the small little intricate things, and those all matter. But from just a mechanical standpoint, do I think Kato Kiyomiya is that much better in the ring than Master Wato? And I will tell you to this day, no, I don't think that he's that much better than him from, a, from that standpoint. Now, do I think he has something special? that is lacking with Watto? Yeah, I do. And do I think that he's been given the opportunity to shine on a higher level and probably definitely has more confidence than Watto? Sure. I mean, there's levels to this game. But I'm never going to sit here and tell you that Keito Kiyomiya mechanically is that much better than Watto. I, I do think Watto had some good points there, some good salient points. And I don't think it's ever bad for these guys in a ego driven business to publicly, you know, point out the fact that they believe in themselves and they think that they're on the same level as another wrestler, even if it might not end up being the case, you know what I mean? Yeah. But as time has gone on from that quote, obviously (laughs) Kiyomiya has kind of differentiated himself and has grown quite a bit as a performer. 
Um, I did think in the early stages of his career, most of his great matches, I felt like he was getting carried by wrestlers that were frankly a lot better than him, like Masato Tanaka or like Katsuhiko Nakajima. You know, a lot of the big matches I would tune in for, I was never really that impressed with Kiyomiya. I do think Kiyomiya is a very good performer, uh, but that's about it. Like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to go that much more in-depth in with this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, to your point about mechanics, I mean, does uh, what, does Kiyomiya slap on a headlock better than Master Wato? I mean, probably not, but... Uh, I've I've seen a, a handful of Kiyomiya matches, and every time I've seen them, they've been, you know, four star plus, incredible, ton of fire, great moves, great matches, you know, main event level stuff. And obviously, Wato has not quite gotten there yet. Right. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that comes down to ring psychology and understanding of, you know, um, how to lay out a match, how to work a match, how to connect with the crowd and i think that those are all things that wato maybe is not you know figured out completely although i think he's on a pretty good path lately yeah so now uh moving on we move into the congo versus lij best of five series so the the first of this series we had tadasuke representing congo he defeated bushi was representing LIJ 11 minutes and 9 seconds. Yeah, I like this Tadasuke, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really totally explain it, but I just, I like him. He's like, he kind of reminds me of like, if like uh, Jumbo Saruda and Steve Carino had a love child. Like, that's <laughs> what he reminds me of. Like, it's kind of like a, a hoss, but he also is kind of like a shit grin eating He'll like kind of reminds me of like Junior Taichi, but he like bumbles like a 1980s, you know, heel like a, I don't know. He reminds me of like, um, like Adrian Adonis or like Buddy Rose. Like he's mm. just, you know, real or, you know, most recently a guy who I think that I liked a lot that people hated was like Kona Reeves in NXT. And we mm. saw him on the, on the Largo loop a lot. People hated him, but I thought he was, for, I thought he was doing his job perfectly. He generated heat in, on those those house shows. Yeah, and he was like, people thought he sucked, but it's like he sucks because he's not doing cool moves because he's eating all the offense and selling his ass off. And I thought he was really good at it. And he is a guy that kind of reminds me of Tadasuke, um, which is funny because Tadasuke is a junior and he was so much bigger than Bushi. <laughs> we did get t-shirt Bushi, even in, even on a Wrestle Kingdom 17 show, even with him, you know, this being his big Wrestle Kingdom moment, <laughs> man, still uh, coming out here in the t-shirt. Yeah, that, that was a joke uh, throughout the show. You know, everybody who didn't get a, a Tokyo moment, like, this is their Wrestle Kingdom. Like, Ishii, that pre-show match, that was his Wrestle Kingdom moment. This yeah. was Bushi's Wrestle Kingdom moment. Yeah, Tadasuke did rip the shirt off of him. And, yeah, a uh, fine mashup here. Uh, towards the end, Bushi sprayed the miss on Tadasuke, but Tadasuke was able to quickly get a uh, quick crucifix pin in response to that and got the upsetting uh, kind of victory there and led off Congo being 1-0 and brought the overall score to a 2-3-1. Yep. Uh, so then from there, uh, we had Hiromu Takahashi representing LIJ, defeating Hajime Ohara representing Congo, 13 minutes and 5 seconds. 
was not a fan of this match. I, I preferred the the work and heat between Tadasuke and Bushi a lot more than I did over the Hiromu and Hajime Ohara match. Um, this match kind of... Now, I will say this. I, I thought uh, Ohara had some really raw gear. Yeah. But the match was kind of laid out for Ohara to get most of the offense, get most of the heat. It was... Kind of just like Hiromu trying to survive the guy and get, he just got beat up and kind of dominated almost the entirety of the time until like the final, you know, probably like four or five minute stretch, maybe less than that, where Hiromu started mounting comebacks and hope spots and counters and yada yada. And then eventually, by, you know, happenstance, caught him with the time bomb too and got him out of there. But it was very clear that like, Hiromu was the overwhelming favorite. Most people were expecting him to win. So they laid the match out in a, in a way to where they gave Hajime Ohara most of the match to make him seem credible. And it just was, I'm not a big fan of just watching Hiromu roll around and sell a lot like that. Yeah. You know, I, I think that they could have had a more competitive match that was more entertaining than this one was. So, um, yeah, it just wasn't very interesting in my opinion. And also most of Hajime O'Hara's offense was, it was non-offensive, but it just wasn't gripping. Yeah, every once in a while he would do a, a cool sequence or a cool move, but overall just kind of very undynamic offense. And like you mentioned, Hiromu was getting beat down. Undynamic offense. <laughs> uh, Hiromu was getting beat down by this guy we're not really familiar with. And, you know, he, he's kind of mopping the floor for Hiromu for the beginning and really kind of getting heat and getting the control. And it's kind of like, why is Hiromu selling for this guy? That, you know, to, I, also, we're not familiar with Noah. This guy doesn't seem like a top junior to me. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, it could have been more competitive, more fast paced, more kind of. Uh, flashy and entertaining and it just wasn't that but uh Hiromu eventually hits the the victory royale followed by the time bomb two to get the win here and that ties things up for the overall score three three and then for the Congo versus LIJ one one uh so then from there we had Manobu Soya from Congo defeating Sonata from LIJ 13 minutes and 57 seconds yeah, uh, another match that was good, but not great. Um, a lot of history between Manabu Soya and Sonata. And for, you know, two guys that had so much history, I would have expected or hoped for more chemistry. But that just did, kind of didn't seem to be the case here. Like, they went out there and they had a fine standard by-the-numbers match, but I don't think either one of these two guys played uh, a whole lot into one another's game. You know, you've, you've got Sonata, who's very good with the technical wrestling and the Matt wizardry, and he does a lot of that sort of, like, uh, you know, British style and then breaking it up with, like, high-octane athletic spots and dives and stuff like that. And Manobo Soya is kind of more of a hoss guy, hard-hitting, strong strength wrestler, and it, it just kind of never came together in my opinion from that standpoint. Like it, I just felt like it was kind of a weird clash of styles. Truthfully. Yeah. Kind of a weird mix. And I feel like Sonata has a track record of not having good matches with former tag partners. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was, you don't say, <laughs> and uh, there was the, the one uh, botch spot where Sonata went for the moonsault and, um, 
And we landed on his head. Yeah. Uh, Soya was supposed to move, but didn't really move all the way. And so now I still caught him in the head. And it's kind of awkward of like, all right, what's happening here? And it's kind of a, a extended. No, I think he was supposed to get his leg. He put his knees up. Right. And he didn't land on the knees. And like his his legs landed on Manabu Soya's face. But at the same time, they had, I think Manabu Soya had been working on Sonata's legs. So Sonata was like selling the knee afterward. It just was weird. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, overall, yeah, Sonoya, uh, Soya came back and uh, got the, the pinfall victory over Sonata. So that brought um, Congo, and, Congo and Noah back in the lead. Uh, so overall, 3 4 1, and then Congo 2 and 1. You mean 4 3 1? Yeah. Um, and then. Um, Following but that, we did have a question. Yeah, that's right. Uh, VE30 says, Do you think Sonata will leave LIJ as Takagi and Naito got storylines to tell? If Sonata leaves, who will join LIJ? You know, it is funny that they mentioned the idea of Sonata leaving LIJ because I don't. Did you catch any of the backstage comments for either of these two shows? I did not. So I wasn't able to watch. Well, I, I did watch briefly, but there was no. Uh, translations for this show's backstage comments, but there obviously was for the next day. And at the conclusion of the main event, where all of LIJ is backstage and Shingo is at his table with his title, everyone is clapping for him except Sonata. Sonata is just totally stoic and not responding in any way. And he actually kind of looks a little frustrated. And then the guys leave to give Shingo the floor and Shingo's got beer. And he was like, Sonata, Sonata, come here, come open this beer for me. And he's like, I can't get it open. He's like, have a, have a drink with me, have a drink. And like Sonata does not look like he wants to have a drink with him. And then they like crack a beer and Sonata takes his beer and he just poured it on Shingo's head. And like Shingo kind of after he, and he just, but like he didn't do it in like a, a funny haha. A funny haha, let's go champ. He did it in like this like stoic, just like fuck you kind of way. And then just walk and didn't say anything, just walked away. And Shingo was like, huh. I wasn't uh quite expecting that from Sonata. Like that's kinda well, you know, they they, they congratulate champions with the beer bath. That's my first beer shower. Thank you, Sonata. <laughs> and like he's playing it off, but I'm thinking to myself, like they are telling they're starting to tell a story where Sonata's getting frustrated because everyone else is ahead of him. I mean, he's the bottom rung heavyweight guy in the comp in the group. And like at this point, the only person that's like not above him is like Bushi. Which is not he's, saying much. <laughs> he's right there with Teton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there might be some smoke to like when I read this question before the show. I thought this doesn't make sense. Like, you know, Sonata's not leaving. But then when I saw that backstage segment, there might be some smoke to the fire. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot of faction shakeups right now in New Japan, people kind of going in different directions. So yeah, I mean Sonata's kind of been stuck in LIJ uh for several I mean, since we've been doing this show, kind of been in that same spot. And then obviously with Shingo coming in, kind of dropped him down some. Uh so yeah, I think Sonata definitely needs a fresh coat of paint, um, something different to kind of you know, if he really wants to break out, I think he does have to kind of get out of LIJ or he's always gonna kind of be where he's where he's slotted. Alright, so uh up next we had the uh next matchup here in the best of five series, Shingo Takagi, the provisional 
2023 KOPW champion. He defeats Kensohiko Nakajima representing Congo 18 minutes and 28 seconds. Before I jump into that, so I just stepped away from the show. We took a small break. You guys won't know that I did that at all, but uh, Raw 30 is on in the other room. (laughs) (laughs) And the badass, the American badass Undertaker just came out. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) He came out to the um, to the kid rock music and everything is so funny. bro. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and he came out when Eli what's his not Eli Drake what's his name LA uh, Knight LA Knight yeah crack the white rock yes um, <laughs> and like I walked away but obviously like they're probably going to have Undertaker like probably like beat up or you know make him to look like a fool and it's like Vince is definitely back bring him <laughs> back you know old ass legends to beat up the young talent that you have today to undermine them entirely. So everyone can know that your heyday was the best time. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah. So Shingo Takagi versus Katsuhiko Nakajima. This is the match that I feel like a lot of people were most looking forward to on the show. And it definitely delivered uh, in spades. Uh, it wasn't quite the match I expected it to be Um, considering both of these guys reputations. I sort of thought that we were in store for like, like a Kensuke Sasaki versus like, uh, God, what's wrong with me? One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Like one of my Kobashi, like the Kensuke Sasaki and Kobashi match where like, they just like go to go to war and just blast each other. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't quite that, but it was really, really good for what it was like a lot of great back and forth, a lot of really great action. Um, Nakajima was very vicious. Although I kind of felt like there was like a, you know, we were talking last week. A lot of people were asking about the violent streak from Nakajima and some of the unfortunate mishaps that have occurred in his matches in the past year. And I could definitely see, like, I felt like Shingo was taking a smidge off of his blows to just let him know, like, we're in here working, brother. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah. Um, Nakajima, man, those kicks, you know, yeah, there was no, like, you know, KL moments like he's had previously, but there were some very hard kicks to um, Shingo's midsection. He was blasting uh, Shingo with kicks all throughout the matchup. And kind of like you were mentioning earlier with, you know, Kevin Kelly and Chris Chartland kind of calling this as, you know, Noah being the heels. Well, Nakajima really played up to that and was getting a ton of heat on Shingo. There was one point where he kind of he knocked Shingo on the outside. And he went back in and he was, you know, doing Shingo's. You know, um, cross-legged pose in the middle of the ring, and he just has that and that smile. Yes, that incredible grin, just this evil, just kind of like evil smirk grin that uh, Nakajima has. He did that several times throughout the matchups, and yes, yeah, throughout the matchups, kind of drilling uh, Shingo um, with those deadly kicks. You know, Shingo would try and come back with the um, you know the elbow strikes to the head and some of his bigger uh, lariat maneuvers, you know, the Yukon lariat and the uh, the pumping bomber. I was able, eventually able to get a uh, made in Japan on Nakajima. Nakajima did hit his uh, brain buster, which I think is one of his big finishes for um, a great near fall as well. They uh, got me on that one because I, it, I did not anticipate anyone kicking out of anyone's finisher in this match. That was something that was pretty surprising to me. 
Yeah. And um, after the pumping bomber, uh, Nakajima kicked out of that, and Shingo quickly got him up, hit a couple strikes, then hit him with the last of the dragon to get the pinfall win there. First time in Shingo's career uh, beating Nakajima. And then that brought the overall score up 4-4-1, four, four, and one, uh, with the five, best of five being tied 2-2. Two, and two. So it would come down to the, the last matchup here to you know get the win, quote-unquote, overall for New Japan versus NOAA, and to get the win in the best of five series between Congo and LIJ. So the main event, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Keno, 26 minutes and 57 seconds. Um, You know, the funny thing for me is, like, I think I ended up liking this almost as much or maybe a little bit more than the um, than the preceding match. Um, not sure why. This just kind of felt more spirited to me um, mm. with the personalities between these two guys and the heat. And... Like, as stiff as Nakajima is, Kano is, like, another level of kick. (laughs) (laughs) And he really, really laid into Naito in this match. The only thing that I would say was maybe a a little bit of a drawback was I felt like the finish came a little bit suddenly, which kind of surprised me. And, again, kind of the similar situation to the one I described with um, Hiromu and Ohara. I felt like Kano took uh, maybe not all the match, but he took a majority of the match. It was probably like 65-45 or maybe even 70-30, so he was definitely like dominant. But that's, the I guess, kind of to be expected considering the fact that Naito's the bigger star. And Naito does work from underneath in a lot of his big matches anyways. You know, that's he always kind of has that underdog role. I think the difference here, why I like this versus like the junior match from prior is Kano's just awesome when he, like, he's just awesome. He beats the crap out of people. <laughs> so great. Yeah, he was uh, on the offense a lot here, had the, the overall advantage for the majority of the match over Naito. And, again, like you mentioned, those really um, hard kicks. And, again, similar to Nakajima, he was he was mocking um, Naito throughout the match, you know, doing Naito's, you know, um, eye-opening, um, taunting that several times. Uh, throughout the matchup and hitting a lot of his uh, big signature moves, that, uh, that double stomp um, off the top, and um, just a lot of his big like signature strikes, he was uh, laying on Naito to get a lot of great uh, near falls. Uh, but then Naito was uh, able to, to rally back, hit some of his big moves, the uh, the Valencia that um, you know snowplow Northern Lights bomb like maneuver, um, and then eventually. Um, it was a great uh, Destino uh, counter there at one point, uh, kind of the mini Destino, which eventually he did hit the uh, the other, the, the normal arm ringer Destino uh, towards the end there to get the win and pin Cano. So LIJ gets the win in the best of five series, 5-4, five, um, and then, uh, or 3-2, and then overall New Japan beats Noah 5-4-1. Um, so kind of a big celebration there for Tetsuya Naito and you know, again, this is kind of his Wrestle Kingdom moment here since he was in that six-man tag at the Tokyo Dome. And big news kind of coming off after the match. Um, you know, Naito does his promo. And um, Keiji Muto was on commentary for this match. And 
after Naito walked out, Muto rolled in the ring and essentially challenged Tetsuya Naito to face him at his final, final <laughs> retirement show coming up next month in the Tokyo Dome. And uh, Naito accepted the challenge. Um, question here from OK, OK, 890 says, Two of Noah's top guys got pinned at the Yokohama show. Do you think Noah is going to let both their junior and heavyweight champions lose also? I think that's in referring probably to the, the Tokyo Dome card. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I, I want to say is once we got, I know last week I predicted that there'd be some sort of trade-off hypothetically where new Japan would win a certain amount and then maybe they'd like let Congo get the win. And that might be the more interesting thing, you know, yada, yada. And I still kind of feel that way to some degree, but with us kind of knowing that new Japan doesn't always play well with others and it being a new Japan branded show. And then the big plans that are obviously on the table for Naito moving forward, it all kind of does make sense. Um, and once we got to the point in the show, once we got to that point where it was like everything was already done and that we had that no contest and we were going into the best of five series, I was like, oh, I started doing the math. And I was like, we're going to get two and two. It's going to come down to this and it's going to be the final match for both New Japan versus Noah and LIJ versus Congo. I was like, there's no way New Japan's losing both of those things. So. Yes. It became very apparent at the end that it was going to for sure be like Naito picking up the big win for everybody. Yeah, it played out just how I said last week on the show. I guess, you know, you know Naito, he didn't get a big spot at the Tokyo Dome. Like they had to give him something. So it was kind of, you know, Naito's big, you know, show closing moment here. And then we find out, you know, he's going to get a, another shot at the Tokyo Dome. Um, he's going to be in the in the main event of this Kijimuto Grand Final Processing Last Love Holdout show February twenty. Uh, first in the Tokyo Dome big main event there. Um, before we get to that, we did have a few other questions here. Um, Senor Sombrero 3K says, after watching the joint show, who would you like to see from Noah coming over for the G1? Oh, there's so many guys that I would like to see, but um, I don't know. I mean, Goshi Ozaki would be cool. Katsuhiko Nakajima, Kano, any of those guys. Kiyomiya, like any of them, you know? Yeah, all those guys would be great. Uh, Marafuji, uh, would love to have him back in the, under their G1. Uh, There's a lot of options, and then they've got a lot of, like, kind of freelance talent that are, that are pretty great, too. Yeah, and, you know, guys like um, uh, Masa, Kitamiya, and Anaba, some of those Haas guys, I think would be good. You put them in a block with, like, Ishii and Goto and Shingo, that would, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, Heavenly Halberd says, what do you think was the most surprising result to come out of NJPW cross Noah? The no contest, because that was like perfect booking. It was exactly what it needed to be. I can't think of a different option that would have been better, you know, uh, right. for so many reasons. But it wasn't something that very many, if anybody, was predicting. Everything else in the show was pretty much by the numbers. Yeah, and I, we thought this tag match was going to be by the numbers, standard tag match. All right, you know, Makabe's probably going to eat the pinfall here, and it'll just right. be a, a nice tease to a match that's never going to happen. But it was completely what we were not expecting in this whole crazy wild brawl. You know, the the, the thing that everybody's been talking about um, and really excited for this uh, upcoming matchup. 
Um, and then uh, Dr. Larry the Dark says, Obari and Kadani said big changes and the world is open. So what more collabs do you see? I just hope to see all Japan jump in, especially with how collaborative they are on the all Japan side. You know, again, like I, we're kind of aware of what's going on in these other companies. I can't speak too much for Jeremy, but like, you know, I try to pay attention to what's going on. I listen to podcasts and different individuals and read, read news sites and stuff to kind of keep up to date on what's happening in the greater Japanese wrestling scene. But I'm not like, I can't tell you the last time I watched a Kento Miyahara match or a Suwama match or anything like that. So, um, and most of my main um, attention on these companies is focused primarily on the big stars. So anyone on the undercard, I'm going to be less familiar with, but from what I can tell right now, all Japan is in dire need of uh, a jolt or a kick in the arm. Um, so it might be a good thing for them to work together, but I mean, the all Japan of 2023 is not the all Japan of even <laughs> just four or five years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All Japan is definitely really low on the radar for me. I mean, I, I know I read the observer every week. And I listen to a uh, big audio nightmare, uh, front of show, Mike Simbervivi, his uh, podcast there on observer where they cover all of uh pure resu. And so, yeah, not super familiar with All Japan. I mean, I'm, I'm always down for uh, collaborations, joint shows. I think it's a great way to uh, discover uh, new talent. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if if it can work out to benefit, you know, both New Japan and All Japan, I'll, I'll be down for it. But I will say this. In terms of Japanese wrestling, I mean, the big, the big crossover is Noah. I mean... Most of the other companies that exist out there, we're going to talk about some crossovers that are happening here pretty soon. Um, I mean, there are definitely a couple cool things you could pick out of a All Japan or a Big Japan or a DDT or even a Dragon Gate, but there's not that across-the-board thing that you could do with the whole entire company where it's going to sound or seem or feel equal. You know what I mean? Like Right. It's most of these companies, they're just not on the same wavelength and standing current day that New Japan is. And that's not us saying it from like a, a fanboy standpoint or like tribalistic. It, it is just a, a fact of the matter. Like their talent reserves are not as deep as what New Japan has currently. And I don't know that they have the star power in many cases that there's enough um, it, like fan interest to do big shows with some of, I mean, Probably with Dragon now the the one exception there would be with Dragon Gate, but I don't think from a political standpoint, New Japan or Dragon Gate would be willing to do too much of that. They might be willing to do some one offs or some crossover matches, but like like let's say if they try to do a show like this, I mean, just the fact that most of their talent are all juniors is like a big how are we going to cross this divide sort of situation, right? And then. They're very exclusionary. Drag. I mean, I know New Japan has been historically, especially in recent times, has been that way. But Dragon Gate, even more so. Like they generally don't work with other companies, so uh, that would be a, a really tough thing to cross in general. I mean, I just couldn't see them putting Shun Skywalker in a similar like New Japan. I couldn't see New Japan letting Shun Skywalker like shoot Kick Okada in the head. And be <laughs> gravy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, and also in the past too, you know, New Japan has you know poached some of the, the Dragon Gate talent. We've seen like you know when Ricochet kind of came over for Super Juniors and was originally representing Dragon Gate, and then eventually just kind of got swept up there and became uh, New Japan. So stuff like that too um, could happen as well with some of these uh, collaborations. Uh, but speaking of collaborations, uh, we did get the card for the Keiji Muto Grand Final Pro Wrestling Last Love Holdout, February 21st in the Tokyo Dome. This is Keiji Muto's, well, as of right now, <laughs> his final, final big retirement show. So like we said, the main event is going to be Keiji Muto representing NOAA against Tetsuya Naito representing New Japan Pro Wrestling. Then in the semi-main event, we'll have a non-title match with Kazuchika Okada representing New Japan versus Kaito Kiyomiya representing Noah. We Maybe. Had, yeah, we had some comments from Okada saying, you know, I didn't agree to this match. It's not a New Japan show. I'm not showing up. I'm boycotting. Why would I have to wrestle him? Sure, yeah, he kicked me in the face, but that's not enough for me to go want to wrestle him on this show in the Tokyo Dome. Like, it's, not, it's not a New Japan show. I'm more concerned about the IWGP title my defense of Chingo coming up um, on this new beginning tour. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Then uh, also there'll be a non-title match with Hiromu Takahashi, the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion from New Japan, taking on Amasuka, the current GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion in NOAA. Then we'll have uh, Nosawa and Mazada from NOAA taking on Gato and Taiji Shimori from New Japan. Then we'll have uh, All Japan versus Noah as Kento Miyahara, Suwama, and Yuma Oyagi will take on Kano, Kazuhiko Nakajima, and Manabu Soya. Then we'll have Dragon Gate versus Noah as Shun Skywalker, Kai, and Diamante will take on Mayor Fuji, Hiho Del Dr. Wagner Jr., and Ninja Mac. Uh, then we'll have a match from DDT as uh, Katsumata. Kojima, Mao, and Yuki Inoa will take on Tetsuya Endo, Hideki Okatani, Yuya Kuroku, and Takeshi Masada. Then we'll have a matchup from Noah as Ita, Yoshinira Ogawa, Hayata, Daga, and Chris Ridgway will take on Atsushi Kotoge, Yohei, Siki Yoshioka, Alejandro, and Junta Miyawaki. Another Noah match with uh, Segura, Kojima, and Timothy Thatcher taking on Jake Lee, Jack Morris, and Anthony Green. Then we'll have a matchup from Tokyo Joshi Pro as Mio Yamashita will team up with Yuya Sakazaki, Rika Tatsumi, and Shoko Nakajima versus Mizuki, Mio Matanabe, Maki Ito, and Yuki Arai. And then the opener will be a Noah match with Masa Kitamiya and Daiki Inaba versus Yoshiki Inamura and Yatsutaka Yano. Yeah, and um, during the post-match comments from the Wrestle Kingdom 17 Yokohama show, I did notice during his uh, post-match celebration, for whatever reason, while Desperado was in the back, um, Nosawa Rungai came backstage and they shared words, but there was no translation. So I couldn't understand the meaning of it. They seemed to be like jesting at one another and then they shook hands. And that was kind of like weird. I don't know if that's building to something or what the deal is there, but Nosawa Rangai's final match is on this show. And that's going to be the tag team match with him and Mazada against Gato and Taiji Shimori, which is very interesting considering the history with Gato and Taiji Shimori 
with Noah just in general that they're so high up on the card. Yeah. <laughs> but we did have that question here um, that was asked earlier. You know, two of Noah's top guys got pinned at Yokama show. Do we think Noah's going to let their junior and heavyweight champion lose at Muda's final Tokyo Dome show? Yeah. It's- and, and keep in mind, the main event too is Kiji Muto, who is as of now a Noah talent. Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time seeing Muto beat Naito there. I think it's you know going to be a, a big moment for Naito to uh, get a win there, and you know Muto doing business you know, hopefully the right way and going out on his back. Um, so yeah, New Japan's going to get the win there that main event. But yeah, those two non-title matches, uh, I have a hard time. I'm seeing Okada lose right now. Currently, still you know he's going to still be the IWGP champion. I think at this point, I think the Shingo match might be before, it, but he's probably beating Shingo. Um, so I mean, I mean, they always could go. It's a non-title that can go a thirty-minute draw uh, with Okada and Kiyomiya, and kind of continue to to build heat for this thing. Um, I think that I'd probably go that route because I have a hard time again just seeing Okada lose right here. I mean, it would be interesting, but I still don't know if New Japan would want that. I could potentially see Hiromu losing to maybe bring in Amasuka for a, a title challenger or Amakusa uh, or be a part of his. Um, Oh, the, the junior festival show that's going to be coming up. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my thinking, too. Um, it sort of depends on what future plans might be. Let me put it to you this way. If, hypothetically, there are any plans in the future, and I don't mean, like, potential, hypothetical, non-concrete, you know, nebulous-type plans. I'm talking about this is going to happen. It's on the books. It's already booked. You, the, the public just doesn't know about it. If that sort of stuff exists, which it very well might, could be, then there is a possibility that these champions from GHC, from NOAA, could win their respective matches to maybe build to something down the road. But I will tell you like this. Make no mistake about it. One way or the other... New Japan, and this is just political, they're the bigger company, they're not going to lose the feud, and they're not going to put over these outside talents, you know, to so that they can just put them over and then we all just move on with their lives. Like, for instance, they didn't trade the Kano and Nakajima losses <laughs> so that their champions could beat the champions from New Japan on the Tokyo Dome show. If that's what you know what I mean, like yeah. that's just not going to happen. Now, hypothetically, is there a situation where Kiyomiya could get a win so that down the road they do another big money match between him and Okada, maybe in the G1, maybe in some other Tokyo Dome situation, so that Okada can beat him definitively? That's possible. I don't know if it's likely, but it's possible. Same thing with the Makusa and um, or Amaksa, however you pronounce it, and uh, Hiromu, because like you mentioned, there's a junior festival coming up. Maybe they want to run that back. Maybe it'd be more intriguing if Amaksa picked up the first win. But uh, don't be surprised if New Japan goes three and zero in the top three matches of the night. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> at all, and I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but it's just. It could easily happen. And for anyone wondering, like, well, why would New Japan, you know, why would Noah agree to that? It's all about a check. <laughs> <laughs> Think about a check. 
uh, Hawaiian Punch VV says, is Muto already the promoter and booker of the year for his retirement show alone? He was able to book Noah's and New Japan's junior champs against each other. He was able to book their aces against each other. And most surprisingly, he was able to book Kento Miyahara and Katsuhito Nakajima in the same match with their beef history. Not to mention all the other cross promotion happening there. I don't know if I'd call him the book of the year. I know you're just being tongue in cheek, but uh, it is pretty wild. The the different things that he's been able to, or whoever that's involved has been able to get involved in this match. This feels like a, like you said, a pro like uh wrestling game of 17 Yokohama is like a produce show on like, what did you say it was on? Produce show on steroids. Yeah. Well, this is like, so much like human growth hormone is gonna like make you have a heart attack, like just kill you on the spot. Like a bunch of like a what, what's that drug that's in everything now that's like just killing people? I don't uh, know. I forget what it is, but it's like that. <laughs> this yeah, it's pretty crazy. Especially the yeah, the Kento Mihara Katsuhiko Nakajima stuff is. I don't know if you know Jeremy, but like Kento Mihara was trained by Nakajima and and came up in the Kensuke. Uh, office slash diamond ring promotion originally and so he was like the underling underneath Nakajima like Nakajima was like his literal like trainer like his well he had several but he was his primary trainer and he they had a falling out and he left diamond ring and obviously at this point like as high profile as Nakajima is Kento Miyahara like has vastly surpassed him in many respects in the wrestling industry and like is not anywhere near being in his shadow. Like if anything, Nakajima is in Kento Miyahara's shadow. So these two, these two guys have never like since the split and since uh, he left to go to all Japan, like they've never worked together. So that's a very interesting prospect. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> that, that should be fun to watch. Yeah. There's been a lot of interesting matches on here. A lot of interesting cross promotion. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Big shout out to uh, Muto for uh, getting this card together and getting this, uh, Fun Tokyo Dome show um, in February. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV also asks, "What's going to be scarier? What's going to be a scarier sight? Muto's knees shattering on the moonsault, or Muto's knees shattering in the middle of Naito's Destino attempt?" I don't. I, hopefully, nobody gets hurt, but I do think we will see Muto do a big moonsault. And you know, I guess we should talk about that for just a second. Like everyone was wondering about Naito being this huge mega star for new Japan. And why wasn't he getting a big prominent spot, <clears throat> excuse me on uh, new on, on wrestle kingdom. Well, this is why, because they had bigger plans for them. And also this probably answers the question of why I noticed that they never even touched in their, you know, multi-man tag match because they're probably saving it for this match. So, Right. This is a really, really, really big deal. Um, I mean, this has got to be one of the biggest send-off matches in Japanese wrestling history. And uh, these guys have only had one match against one another, and Muto beat Naito. So Naito has... I mean, this is a big thing for him. Like, It's the guy that inspired him to come into pro wrestling, and he wants to defeat him and kind of you know, get that torch passed. So, yeah, it's going to be a big moment for him to kind of, yeah, put this, you know, um, legend, this guy he looked up to, uh, the guy that kind of blew him out in the Tokyo Dome uh, earlier in his career. Um, it's a way for him to kind of put him out in the Tokyo Dome. And it's going to be a really big uh, moment for Tetsuya Naito there. 
which kind of leads into uh, Hawaiian Punch BB's last question. So with Naito's plate looking full at the start of 2023 with Kano, Muto, and Umino, is Naito going to have a big 2023? I really, truly would not be surprised if he goes through Kano, Kijimuto, and Shota Umino. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the New Japan Cup and then beat Okada. I'm not saying they should do that, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point this year he holds the world title. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I know a lot of people were kind of clamoring for that last year, and there was some, with the rivalry of Okada, I think people were hoping that he would eventually get one more match and end up winning that match, but it didn't happen. So, yeah, I mean, with the current role he's on right now, it seems like if, you know, if he definitely, you know, Umino will be the last kind of guy he faces in February. If he beats Umino, I think, yeah, he's riding a ton of momentum going into New Japan Cup season. And, yeah, what a, a big matchup for Sakura Genesis, you know, Okada and Naito. Um, that would be a pretty big deal for that show, a full cheering crowd. Well, they could do that, uh, but yeah, overall, I think yeah, he will have again another uh, really great year, and yeah, potentially could get you know capture that IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Um, okay, okay, eight ninety says, do you think there's a decent chance Muto's Dome show outsells Wrestle Kingdom with it having the three of the four biggest draws in Japan in big matches? I don't think it will um i mean we know that the last wrestle kingdom show in the tokyo dome did just over twenty six thousand, and i could be wrong here i haven't checked the numbers but i feel like at the last check the show was a lot lower than that although with them announcing a card that might boost things so maybe i'm wrong maybe that's gonna maybe because they already did sell out most of the ringside seats already that stuff's gone so yeah this might inspire tickets to you know exponentially increase it's hard to say yeah uh, we, don't, we don't have a uh, wrestle ticks uh, doing a lot for the japanese shows uh for for new japan or Noah. so yeah it's kind of hard to tell um, the one thing i will say though is that i think regardless this is going to do a better gate even if it does a, a lower number because the tickets were much higher for this show than they were for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, some of those ringside tickets were really um, high cost. Uh, of course, you know, Muto's last show here. So, yeah, charged some really big prices for those uh, ringside arena seats. So, yeah, they're definitely going to rake in a big gate. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we get, like, a, at least, you know, 20,000 uh, crowd for this, um, you know, pretty big card. And, yeah, they mentioned you now have, you have Naito on it, you have Okada on it now. Hiromu Takahashi, and then you have all these other promotions on it. Um, it's going to be, uh, I think, a pretty big show. Uh, he also asked, do you think Kaito versus Okada 1 will be the end of this rivalry or just a start? I feel like they can make a lot more money still and potentially run a dome show with Okada, Ka- Okada Kaito as the main event if they build Kaito enough. I mean, I definitely think the prospect of that is on the table and might be the impetus for them to not have Okada win the first match. Then again, depending on the method that they go about doing that, if, you know, I'm not saying that they should do the same thing that they did with Muto and Kiyomiya, (laughs) but there, 
there could be a potential storyline where Kiyomiya chases potentially. And, you know, maybe like if the match is really outstanding and he really has a compelling showcase or showing and just falls short and Okada's the better man, then that could be enough for people to want to see the match again in the future and there be an appeal. But if he beats Okada, if they have him beat Okada and Okada has to return to New Japan as the quote-unquote champion, but he did, but he got beat by the GHC champion, that's very interesting. And the same way how I, last week where I was like, Kano beating uh, Naito might be more interesting on paper. I kind of feel the same way here with Kiyomiya and him. Um, but it really just depends on if they if they're going to do business again in the future. If they don't have anything concrete planned right now, then it's a it's a foregone conclusion. Okada's going to win because even if Okada wins and they want to do business in the future, the door's probably always going to be open. Right. But if they have something planned and they know that the way they want to get there is by doing the upset, man, that would be Okada like really, really making this kid and doing a huge favor for him. I also have to wonder about the politics of that with what we've heard from reports about Bushi Road being concerned about cyber agent and viewing them as a serious, uh, you know, competitor just for a variety of reasons. I mean, think of it from that standpoint, this would be like, I don't know, like in 1998, like Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestling like Bill Goldberg and putting over Bill Goldberg. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. I could not like, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 that's kind of what this is like in a certain sense, obviously on a smaller scale, but that's kind of crazy. So I also have to wonder if like New Japan would even be willing, as cool as it sounds on paper and as much as the booking might even make sense from a monetary standpoint, like are they not concerned that by making this kid you might be like, you know, building up your your enemy, building up their yeah, biggest competition. building up your biggest competition. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the draw, thirty minute draw, could be compelling too, on um, to kind of build us up and do another match because at the t- it's for Okada's like, hey, he did not beat this kid. Like he couldn't get the job done. Um, he wasn't good enough to to put away Kiyomiya, and Kiyomiya can be like, yeah, Okada didn't beat didn't beat me. I took him to the limit. He couldn't get the job done. Like if we had a full hour, we could. I, I would beat him. And then you can build up to another match, give it the main event, give it the, the hour um, time limit, and have another great matchup in that way. So uh, let's move on now to the new beginning in Nagoya. So this show happened on January 22nd, so one day after the Wrestle Kingdom 17 show in Yokohama Arena. This was a cheering event and the kickoff of the new beginning tour. Um, so the show opened up. We had Togi Makabe and Toroyano defeating Oscar Lube and Yuto Nakashima. Nine minutes and 25 seconds. Your uh, standard opening matchup here uh, with uh, Makabe hitting the King Kong knee drop. On uh, Oscar Lube to uh, get the win here. So standard opening matchup. So uh, second matchup we had uh, El Esperado, Minoru Suzuki, Ren Narita, and Tomioka Hanuma. Defeating the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil Show, 
And Yujiro Takahashi, 10 minutes and 40 seconds uh, after the matchup, we had a little angle here where Suzuki calls out the House of Torture, saying, you know, there's uh, four of them, but they have the never six-man titles, and there's three of them in the ring. So Suzuki, Despi, and Narita laying out the challenge for House of Torture, so maybe that their upcoming matchup will be turned to a uh, title match. Yeah, there's still a lot of distrust and kind of animosity between uh, Minoru Suzuki and Ren Narita, and that was kind of showcased here. And then throughout the match, they had a lot of tension and then the backstage comments. So it's like they're a unit, and I guess they could go one of two ways. These guys could band together and form a bond, and maybe the story continues from there. Or they fail, and there's some sort of falling out, and they feud with one another. So uh, where they're going kind of remains to be seen. Yeah. Then after that, we had uh, TMDK, Kosei Vegeta, Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, and Zack Sabre Jr. Defeating Hiroki Goto, Tomori Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Rohe Oiwa. There was a ton of heat here between Oiwa and Vegeta because, you know, Vegeta has, you know, he's left the quote-unquote lion mark and he's now a part of TMDK. So a lot of heat there between Oiwa and Fujita. Uh, but in the end, it was TMDK that got the win as uh, Shane Hayes had uh, set out powerbomb on Oiwa. Eight guys that I'm really into, and there's a kind of a lot going on here that was good. Obviously, the TV title preview and Ishii and Zach is a classic combination. And then um, the TMDK tag team against Bishamon, that's going to be very good. And then you've got the two premier young lions, New Japan sort of having some, you know, a dispute based on their allegiances and that sort of thing. So um, a lot good kind of going on here in this match. Yeah. And then uh, following that, we had the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori. Defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi, Jado, and Master Wato, 11 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, ELP has a, a never openweight title match coming up with uh, Tamatonga. We have the Kenta and Tanahashi singles match coming up. And then I believe Ishimori and Wato are going to have a singles match on, on this tour as well. So, yeah, so final little six man uh, match to uh, build some of those matches up. One thing I did want to say earlier, Togi Makabe took more bumps <laughs> for these Lions than he did in the Wrestle Kingdom Yokohama show. <laughs> Trying to give back to the youth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we had the uh, United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, and Will Ospreay defeating uh, just three guys <laughs> in this match. Uh, Doki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. We have Taka. This was supposed to be an eight-man tag, but TJP had some travel issues, and I believe his plane was like landing as the show was happening, so wasn't able to be on the show. This turned into a, a six-man tag here, and of course they're, they're building up Osprey and Taichi, and then uh, Doki and Kanamaru challenging Akira and TJP for the the junior tag team titles later on in the tour. Uh, so that was a fun little six-man match. I really like the interactions between Osprey and Taichi. The the finish of the match was really fantastic. As oh. Doki, Doki looked like he was getting things cooking, but then he kind of got outmanned, and like Osprey was the legal man, and he was kind of running roughshod over Osprey. But then uh, there was interference kind of that came from Francesco Akira, so he's trying to fight off both guys, and in the midst of a uh, move sequence that he's doing with Francesco Akira 
he just out of nowhere gets blasted with a hidden blade from a you know concealed Will Osprey, and Osprey picked up the one two three. It was really kind of a cool inventive finish there. Yeah, that's probably one of the nastiest like sudden hidden blades I ever seen because you, you just didn't see it coming. Like literally, Osprey came out of nowhere and drilled this guy um, right in the face with the hidden blade, and it was an awesome finish. So yeah, so uh, yeah, Night Empire picking up the win there, getting some momentum going into their program with just four guys uh then in the semi main event of the evening we had kazuchika okada and yo teaming up with taguchi and shota umino and they defeated the lij team of bushi Hiromu sonata and tetsuya naito umino hitting the uh death rider on bushi once again to get the win here yeah and i mean this was kind of a nice little proxy because obviously Shingo is going to be the next challenger for the IWGP title. So we've kind of got his unit representing him against Okada and and friends. At the same time, there's the junior uh, title feud going on between Yo and Hiromu. And those interactions were very good in this match. Great matches in the past. So that's something I'm kind of looking forward to. And Yo was looking very good in this match. And then um, finally... Naito and Umino, like in almost every match they've been in against one another, they just continue to shine and stand out against each other. And so I'm really looking forward to the match that's kind of coming up between those two guys, especially since it's going to be a main event. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really big moment for Umino, just kind of uh, getting him on the, the right track to becoming a main event star here in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I did notice, you know, also I know Naito's a big star, but definitely seeing the crowd was more into Naito than they were Umino uh, throughout this match. So I think it's definitely something that Umino's going to have to overcome uh, in this program with uh, Tetsuya Naito. Also, I don't know if you noticed, but we did get brief interactions between Okada and Naito, and the crowd went crazy every time that happened. And obviously it's like a classic combo in New Japan, but not fully convinced that there's not juice left in that, you know, in that fruit to squeeze out. Yeah, I think there's definitely yeah more room to do um, one more uh, big matchup between those guys on a really big stage. Especially the way they're setting up Naito, you just never know. Yeah. Uh, then the main event of the show was for the 2023 Provisional KOPW Championship in a MMA rules match. The Dragon Chingo Takagi was able to defend his Provisional title, defeating the Great Okan by... Uh, TKO 22 minutes and 37 seconds so this was the, the MMA rules that you know Josh wanted everybody to vote for uh, had the both guys had to wear geese uh, to the ring and you can only win by KO TKO or submission so Josh what do you think about this MMA rules match that you wanted so badly the funny thing is I don't know why they keep calling it an MMA rules match when was the last time that you saw someone wearing a gi in MMA like it's probably been a a good 15 years, maybe yeah. longer for most people. Um, this didn't in any way reflect what I think of when I think of mixed martial arts or the UFC or, you know, anything like that. A um, couple things that were kind of cool and interesting. So Shingo, or I'm sorry, uh, Great Okan came out with the entirety of the United Empire and they did, they did a spoof on the, Gracie train. Are you familiar with this, Jeremy? Yeah, I've seen that before. 
Yeah, so they came out, you know, all doing the fucking Gracie train thing, except for, like, it was the, they called it uh, on commentary, the Okani train, <laughs> which was fucking funny and kind of hilarious, uh, these goofballs. And then Okan is wearing, like, a BJJ gi, and there are differences between different types of gi. Uh, and then Shingo came out with, like, his wrestling tights. <laughs> But then a judo gi on, which was like fucking weird. <laughs> but uh, I was kind of digging the presentation. I thought it was really cool. Um, Great Ocon taped up his braid to the top of his head so it wouldn't get in the way. And then the match started, and it was very like technical. And you know, these guys were working from like the collar elbow tie up sort of uh, position, like that you see in judo. And I, I thought it was starting off really cool, but then like some time was going and. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't fun or cool or interesting. It was undynamic offense. It was just like, <laughs> you know, just two guys going out there just kind of, I don't know, like I guess doing a quasi version of like what you might see in like a, a judo gym, essentially. Yeah. It, and go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, this is kind of weird. I mean, like I said, it started off good. There's a lot of cool, like, you know, judo throws, like, gi throws, you know, them trying to do, like, submissions with the gis. And uh, I thought some of that was um, kind of cool. But I, I don't know. I felt for this type of match, it just went too long. We oh, saw, the, match was, the match was way too long. We saw, like, the amateur wrestling rules of Yano and Okan. They kept it short, like a traditional yep. amateur wrestling matchup. And it was a ton of fun. Yeah, I'm surprised this didn't have rounds. If you're going to call it an MMA match, it should have had rounds, most likely. It probably should have been capped, like, you know, it probably should have done, like, three three-minute rounds or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then I did think the groundwork, especially especially from Great Ocon, was pretty impressive, and I thought that stuff was really good, and it showed that he was very technical. And uh, But we've kind of seen his prowess when it comes to the ground game and it, a lot over the past couple of years. Then they started getting into, like, the shenanigans with the outside interference, and then, like, LIJ had to come down and protect Shingo, and then we had all this, like, stuff going on between United Empire and LIJ and everything, and it just started feeling very House of Torture-ish, like, to where I was like, oh, I don't know if I really need to be seeing this in the MMA fight, and just getting kind of farcical, yeah, cause and then because yeah, it was like a lumberjack match too. So like, yeah, those guys are supposed yeah. to like, keep those guys in. Like at first, LJ wasn't out there, so you know, at Empire when like Ocon was out, like they would give him time, a breather, and, like give him the fan with a towel and like, help him get back in slowly. The other thing too is like, even though there was like a quote unquote sporting feel to the beginning of the match and everything, it was very slow. But the thing that I noticed right away, there's no strikes. Why? It's a mixed martial arts fight. Why are there no strikes? And then probably about midway through the match, and by midway, we're talking about 10 minutes into the match, um, Shingo starts using knees, and then uh, so does Okan, and then they start going into like more pro wrestling type stuff. But it's like, if I'm, I'm fine that they were doing pro wrestling stuff, but it's like, you guys could have been doing cool pro wrestling and then they were just kind of doing mid pro wrestling and then the crowd wasn't reacting. It just felt very awkward. Yeah. And then by the end of it, like they were just stuck in this weird nebulous of like shenanigans, sometimes karate stuff, sometimes pro wrestling stuff. And then they did do a cool inventive finish where like 
out of nowhere, um, Shingo caught him, you know, into a position where he got him up on his shoulders and then gave him the last of the dragon. And that looked pretty devastating. And then, but at the same time, he couldn't pin him. So they, they went into a double count out situation and then he ran up, nailed the dude, put him in a gi choke, choked him. I thought the, the choke out situation at the end was really great, but like, the, the only real action in this match was like the last two minutes, and it was a 22 minute plus match. It just wasn't good. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. I've seen worse KOPW matches, but like that whole thing where last week I was saying um, Shingo should be like wrestler of the month, hands down, pretty easily. Like this put a big dent in that claim. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the weird thing, you know, even on commentary, Kevin Kelly's like, I don't get why Shingo's continuing to, like, grapple this guy. Like, there was no rules against striking or using wrestling moves. Like, why oh, why is Shingo that, still, like, not using strikes and trying to wrestle this guy? Um, using- I'll, I'll tell you something. I thought on this night, and I don't usually say this, and I'm sorry to say it. It's probably the only time I've ever said it on this show, and I hope it's the only time I ever say it again. I thought Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly sucked on this show. I didn't think that they were very good most of the time. There was just like too much. I I hate to say it this way, but let me just, without pulling any punches, I'll just be honest with you. There's too much J cast type humor in the show. Like a lot of like talking about guys that were hunky talking about like, you know, four guys, one cup. And then like when they were covering this, just like a lot of like nonsense. I don't like, that from this particular duo of commentators when I see them as being like one of the more, um, you know, competent sports centric type of, I mean, sure they have entertainment aspects, but it just felt like they were like out there riffing. Like no one was watching. Like it's not a new beginning in Nagoya. Like it's just some, like, I don't know. Like it's like 2016 and nobody's watching the road to show. You know what I mean? It yeah. was weird. And I thought that they sucked on this, on this particular match in general. Like it's your job, even though the match was not good, right? The match wasn't good. Like make no mistakes about it. Your job is to lie and tell <laughs> us it's good and make it seem more epic than what we're actually seeing on this, on the screen. But they were like, there was a point where like, Kevin Kelly's like, I hate to tell you so, but we should have done the 30-minute, you know, 30 30 count count match. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You're not supposed to say that. You are the commentator. And then, but they were out of their element because they're talking about, like, there's better, you know, MMA guys who could call this better. And it's like, you're not supposed to say that either. Like, just fucking call the action. Make it seem like this is a real struggle. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. try to cover for the deficiencies in the match, which... Again, the match wasn't good, but I really do feel like the commentary was really bad too. Yeah, as for me, like I was more zoned in on what was happening uh, in the match, but yeah, I, I did notice Kevin like saying, "Yeah, they should have done the thirty count match." I mean, I, I was thinking this the same thing. Most people would agree. Like, yeah. it's not like what he was saying was fake, but or false. But it's like you're you don't say that. We say that. <laughs> it's it's the job of shows like this who shit talk and say <laughs> shit like that. It's not supposed to be the the guy in commentary being like, oh, we shouldn't have done this. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, th- I think that um, MMA can be, like, the idea of, like, and it's not even supposed to be, I don't know, we're, we're saying MMA, karate. Okay, karate is really cool. Like, there's a reason people love Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's because, like, 
they're out there doing cool shit and like beating each other's asses and stuff. That can be really cool. This match should have been much shorter, much more intense, and it would have been really cool if they're going out there throwing strikes, throwing each other around, working the gimmick. But it was just them like holding each other in in the collar and elbow and trying to trip each other for like the first ten minutes, and then the second half was just a bunch of shenanigans until they decided to go into high spots. Like this was not good. Like I've seen Anoki have better mixed <laughs> MMA matches, and most of those weren't good either. Like this sucked. Yeah, this is kind of like a black eye on what's been happening with KOPW and Chingo's kind of, uh, you know work to really elevate that title and say yeah and you know it, it's Shingo and it's Great Khan. I mean two great wrestlers this should have this should have been great um but it, it just wasn't um and it was unfortunate but yeah Shingo he does uh retain the the, the provisional KLPW championship uh, they did a karate match and Okan didn't throw a single karate chop which he's known, what he does in regular matches. Which is what he does in all. What are we doing here? This makes no sense. This was so weird. This was like two guys doing blood sport that had never done blood. Sport. Like I guarantee you, if Filthy Tom Waller had done this match, it would have been phenomenal. It would have been really funny and really intense. And he knows how to work and shoot at the same time. I don't think these guys got that. In fact, I'll tell you what. I don't think that uh, particularly. I don't think Shingo, this was a good gimmick for him. No, not at all. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird. And the, the whole thing, like like they were mentioned on commentary, like Shingo should have been throwing more strikes. Shingo should have been trying to just pro-wrestle this guy. It was a mixed martial art. Like he should have been just using his pro-wrestling and then at certain it, points it, yeah. get out-wrestled by Okan. But he should, he should have been throwing lariats and trying to do these big moves uh, while uh, Okan's like, grabbing him up and getting him submissions. You know what the funny thing? That's pretty much the prototype of like what Anoki's matches were like. It was him using pro wrestling against martial artists and then prevailing. That's what this should have been. Yeah. It would have been much better. It should have been more like a Shingo Zack Saber match. Pretty yeah. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> I mean I, I definitely think they should have played in the gimmick and really like utilized the, the whole thing when he took the... Okay, so Shingo takes his jacket off halfway through the match. That should have been like a big moment. Like, he was getting his ass beat because he had the jacket on. He Then he smartens up and takes it off. And it's like, oh, you know? Right. But they didn't do that. Like, I don't know. This this thing was a big miss. And it really shouldn't... I, I don't think it was that difficult to have a good match with the gimmick. Like, it should have been pretty cool and pretty fun. And definitely shouldn't have gone over. It should have been sub fifteen minutes. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot that wrong that went here. Uh, but yeah, Shingo gets to win post match. He invites Okada out. Um, he knows it's only fair since he interrupted Okada twice that Okada should come out here. And he uh, posed the idea of doing a double title match for the KOPW and IWGP with KOPW rules, but. Okada uh, kind of kindly uh, turned him down and said, no, nah, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that wants to go after two belts. I can only focus on one belt, only on IWGP, and IWGP shouldn't be, you know, contested under gimmicky KOPW rules. It should just be mano-a-mano, um, straight-up pro wrestling match. So that's what we're going to do. And then Shingo was like, fine, you know, if, if then I'm going to win and become the double champion. So He also made remarks basically saying, like, I only want this belt. I have no need for two belts, which kind of felt like a, 
a shot back to the previous booking of like the IWGP slash IC title shit. Right. It also kind of felt like a slight to Noah and the GHC thing. Like this is the only title that matters. It's the only one I want. Why would I care about anything on the out, you know, any other belts, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I was like, he's saying he doesn't care about the GHC title or anything like that, you know? Yeah. So uh, we have some Road to New Beginning shows coming up this week. Uh, so on Tuesday, January 24th in Corken Hall, we'll have the Great Okan versus Ray Oiwa, Jado and Master Wato versus Gato and Taiji Shimori, Aaron Hanari and Francesco Akira versus Doki and Takamichinoku. We'll have uh, Goto, Ishii Yoshihashi, and Oscar Lube versus all of TMDK. Tanahashi and Tenzon versus Phantasmo and Kenta. Taguchi and Yo versus Bushi and Hiromu. TJP and Will Ospreay versus Taichi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And then the main event will be Okada, Okada, Yano, and Umino versus Sonata, Shingo, and LIJ. And then the next day, January 25th, will also be from Corgan Hall, another Road to New Beginning show. We'll have Oscar Lube versus Aaron Hanare. Toru Yano and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Gato and Kenta. Master Wato and Togi Makabe versus Taiji Shimori and ELP. Yuto Nakashima, Yoshihashi, Tomoyo Ishii, and Hiroki Goto versus Kosei Vegeta, Shane Hayes, Mike Nichols, and Zack Sabre Jr. TJP and Great Okan versus Taka and Kanamaru. Akira and Osprey versus Doki and Taichi. Umino and Hanma versus Sonata and Naito. And the main event will be Yo, Taguchi, Okada, Versus Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo Takagi. Bro, there were five other new Road to New Beginning shows in between these two that you mentioned and then the upcoming uh, New Beginning in Sapporo on February 4th. I didn't check New Japan World to see what the live viewing schedule was. So I thought we were watching all of them. I was like, Fuck. Bro, so did I, and I double checked the the world schedules to make sure. And I only <laughs> I only saw two. I was like, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so relieved. Like, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I I think I marked down in my calendar. I was like, new beginning night one, new beginning night two, new beginning night six, new beginning night seven. <laughs> well, like, oh my. the thing that tipped me off, like night three, was like in some like weird like little. It's in, like, Chichiba or something like yeah, that. Some little weird town. I was like, I've never seen that. I was like, what is? Where is this? And I, I was like, okay, it's not televised. This is a little house show. I mean, let's be clear. New Beginning in Nagoya was basically a Road to show combined with a big main event. That that literally should have been Road to New Beginning. It should have, yeah, yeah. So. But that is uh, those are the matches coming up in the shows between now and next week. Uh, let's jump into New Japan Strong or New Japan of USA. So this past weekend, we had New Japan Strong Nemesis, Saturday, January 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. On New Japan World, we had three matches of action. The first uh, match of the evening, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs defeated C4. That's Cody Chun and Guillermo Rojas, 10 minutes and 37 seconds. Second match of the night, Kenta defeated QT Marshall 12 minutes and 35 seconds. And I've got a, a feeling that that a limit, what was that match called? The that, uh, strong survivor. Yeah. So this is part of the same tapings. I've got to assume that the strong survivor match probably took place live for the live audience at the end of the show. 
Mm-hmm. But they're showing this one as though this happened after that match. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So it's weird because on commentary, they're mentioning how Kenta's already the number one contender, but like people live in the audience hadn't experienced it that way. So it's kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, Kenta defeats QT Marshall. And then the main event, we had the New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team titles on the line as the Motor City, Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin, successfully defended their title against Rapongi Vice, Rocky Romero, and Trent Beretta, 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah, second to last, New Japan Strong. Thought it was a pretty good show. Uh, really liked uh, the C4 team of Cody Chun and Guillermo Rojas. We've seen them in singles actions a lot. It's the first time that they, I think they've teamed up on Strong with their C4 tag team, which seems like a well-known team in the, the West Coast area because they were getting a lot of chance uh, throughout this match. And Very popular during this taping. Yeah, so a fun matchup there with West Coast Wrecking Crew, but of course the established team of the West Coast Wrecking Crew got the win after there was a pretty uh, nasty botch towards the end there. They were trying to do for like a double-team move. Uh, but Isaacs ended up saving it, hitting a big German, and then uh, Nelson was able to hit the D, the, uh, the elbow drop to get the win there. Uh, Kenta and QT Marshall, uh, fun matchup here. You know, you had Kenta, even though Kenta's a heel, he was obviously you know, the big New Japan star and the big fan favorite, and QT gets heat wherever he goes. So really fun matchup here. Uh, towards the end, there was a ref bump, and Kenta uh, brought the chair in, and QT hit a low blow and kind of had this whole back-and-forth kind of cheating segment. Until Kenta hit a uh, the DDT on the chair to QT and hit him with the go to sleep to get the win and kind of build up momentum going into his strong title match coming up at Battle in the Valley, and then the the main event Machine Guns versus Rapungi Vice uh, first time matchup believe it or not and this was a an awesome main event here really great double team uh, combos crowd was really into this matchup Machine Guns kind of t- working a little bit heel. Uh, towards the match here, and the crowd really getting behind Rocky and uh, Trent Beretta. And uh, at the end, you have the Machine Guns, their new uh, tag finisher on Rocky to get the win. So, yeah, really great showing here uh, for Machine Guns versus Punky Vice. In my opinion, one of easily one of the best tag team matches in the history of uh, New Japan Strong. I thought this was an excellent, excellent tag team main event, and probably the best strong openweight tag team title match to date. Yeah, it, it was awesome matchup. And yeah, I don't know what the future is of these titles or what, you know. Well, gonna... we have some news, Jeremy. Did you catch the backstage promos? I, I did not. <laughs> so I went ahead and checked that out. And uh, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, uh, I'll keep it short, they eventually had a face-off with the Motor City Machine Guns. And it's not official official, like they haven't posted on social media, but it's pretty much 100% official. West Coast Wrecking Crew will be challenging for the New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team titles against the Motor City Machine Guns at Battle in the Valley on February the 18th. Nice. So, yeah, that should be a pretty good matchup there. Yeah, but- and, and I have to assume that if they are, whatever the future of these titles are, and I don't know if they're making them defunct or if they're going to continue in some other iteration beyond new Japan strong, they're going to put the title on West coast wrecking crew. They've kind of been like the key tag team for this division and they've never held the belts. So probably like a last make good sort of feel good moment for that team. Yeah. And so uh, next Saturday, upcoming Saturday, the 28th will be the last uh, ever new Japan strong episode 
that will conclude the Nemesis Tour as well. And uh, Kita will take on Blake Christian. <laughs> Mystico will take on Mysterioso. And then the, the main event will be the strong open weight title match. Fred Rosser defends against Peter Avalon. The winner will face Kenta at Battle in the Valley. I'm kind of just chuckling to myself. Like looking at this rundown, it's like Kita versus Blake Christian. All right, two guys that have never been to Japan. Mystico and Mysterioso, like a CMLL guy versus a guy that's never been to Japan. And then the title, Fred Rosser versus Peter Avalon, two guys that have never been to Japan. Like this is like 100% like different than what we saw when like New Japan Strong first launched. <laughs> yeah, And th- that's no slight. There's some great, t- I mean, all three matches are probably going to be really cool and really good. It's just like, damn, this is... <laughs> What a way to like send off New Japan Strong, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but let's uh, jump into the news here. So, um, Sakura Genesis this past week was announced that it will be returning in April on the eighth at Ryogoku Sumo Hall, and the news we got here: full cheering crowd, which I think everyone's pretty happy about. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Also, there was a huge announcement today that in. And we've talked about this on the show. We thought it was a pipe dream. We've heard mentions of it time and time again from Moromo. We didn't think it was happening. And now it is happening. And it's so much more than we could have ever fucking thought it was going to be. <laughs> An interpromotional junior heavyweight event is set to air on New Japan World Pay-Per-View. New Japan announced today that Hiromu Takahashi will produce... The All-Star Junior Festival on Wednesday, March the 1st at Corken Hall in Tokyo, Japan. According to its announcement, tickets for the show are already on sale. Plus, the event will air uh, for global audiences on New Japan World Pay-Per-View. All of Japan's largest men's promotions will contribute talent for the event, as well as CMLL from Mexico. The promotions that will be involved are as follows. There's over 20 promotions. We got 2AW, we got 666 Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Big Japan Pro Wrestling, CMLL, DDT, Tradition, Dragon Gate, Gambare, Glate, Just Tap Out, Kyoshu Pro, Michinoku Pro, NJPW, Osaka Pro, Pancrase Mission, Pro Wrestling Basara, Pro Wrestling Freedoms, Noah, Secret Base, Zero One, Ryuku Yio. Ryukyu Dragon Pro Wrestling. Uh, that's like a lot of. <laughs> that's so many companies. Like, Dude, this is so I, I didn't know like half of those promotions existed. <laughs> so, okay, so I know most of these promotions. Well, Pancreas Mission is not even a promotion. That's just like Hikaru Sato's, like Hikaru Sato and like Minoru Suzuki. Like it's just their like fight camp, but whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I knew most of these companies existed. Could I have I ever watched like Kyushu Pro? No. I'm surprised they didn't get any Chaka Pro in here. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, <laughs> we did have a question from MJ Does PR. He said, Hiroma's Junior Festival looks like it will have it participation from many legit promotions, all the way down to the grimiest of Japanese indies. What is the strategic imperative for a show like this? Is it to showcase junior talent? and help grow the general pro wrestling audience, a rising tide lifts all boats situation, or is it something different? Yeah, I think, well, part of it's what we talked about earlier, when your promotion kind of does 
cool things that you can capitalize on. It, it kind of helps people bring eyes to your promotion, um, kind of create some extra buzz there and be like, oh, yeah, New Japan is doing cool cross-promotion things. Um, and then also, too, I think it's kind of that, yeah, rising tide uh, lifts all boats where, you know, New Japan is the, the biggest promotion in the game. And if they can, you know, really show that pro wrestling is alive and well in Japan, it's going, I think it's going to do great things for New Japan's business. And then it will trickle down to all these various promotions um, that are working. And also, too, I mean, can't confirm this, but I, I think selfishly, this is a, a way for New Japan to kind of scout the junior talent scene and see what's out there. One of the things that we've said, you know, during the pandemic and what we saw was, you know, New Japan's junior division is heavily reliant on foreign talent. They, they're reliant on guys like Robbie Eagles and you know, all those, you know, guys they brought in from like Impact and um, some of those names that they bring in. It's over the years we've seen that, that it's very reliant on um, junior superstars coming in and facing off the few domestic stars they have. And it really got exposed during the pandemic when, you know, the main guys all was pretty much just Hiromu, Desperado, Taiji Ishimori were kind of your top three domestic guys. And there wasn't really a ton of other guys that were felt like stars or that were really built up. And so I could see this as New Japan's way to kind of see, all right, who's out here and who should we try to kind of poach, get into Super Juniors and maybe... Uh, really bolster up our our domestic uh, junior roster. There's a lot to unpack here. I don't know if now is the time to really go into everything because obviously we're going to be doing a preview show and a review show when this all does come to pass. But I do think that the amount of companies that will be represented 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 uh, is pretty. Noteworthy. I mean, I, I can't think of any other event that's had this much representation on it, uh, which is pretty wild and does make me wonder what the actual card is going to look like. Uh, I think it's very exciting, though, top to bottom. Yeah. And uh, as far as answering that question, I mean, I think you did a great job of sort of laying out what your thoughts are on it, Jeremy, I think I echo a lot of those same sentiments. The only other thing I would probably add is, you know, in the 90s when Liger and his wife came up with the idea of, like, the J-Cup and kind of implementing all the outside juniors that sort of existed in uh, Japanese wrestling, that led to a boom period for juniors in general across the board, whether that be in Michinoku Pro or, you know, Kaintai Dojo or different places like that uh or war it wasn't just about new japan it was sort of that what you mentioned there mj like a rising tide lifts all boats but at the end of the day who what was the synonymous name in japanese wrestling when it came to juniors we talked about it last week on the show it's new japan they're the ones that presented the platform to get people aware of like great sasuke and Nami and like all these different people and I think that that's what's going to happen or like Super Dolphin stuff like that so I think that that's kind of what's going to happen here it's going to create opportunities for juniors to work with one another from different companies do business across the board kind of expand obviously I think at the end of the day they're going to establish New Japan as a dominant force but um, you know when we talk about a forbidden door opening I can't think of 
more of a forbidden door opening <laughs> than this fucking forbidden door. And it makes all the sense in the world that it's Hiromu Takahashi is the one who's doing it. And people have complained about Hiromu being the main guy in the juniors. I think a lot of us just kind of need to put to bed for now the idea that he's going heavyweight. It doesn't seem to be that that's the case. So if he is going to be in the junior division, creating an opportunity for all these different promotions and, and talents to work with one another and to do cool, interesting things like this, this is beyond what anybody could have imagined. So I'm very, very much so looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Last bit of news here. So... um there is a special training camp that will take place in San Jose on Sunday, February 19th. Kushida is going to lead a pair of seminars on the day, giving wrestlers with some experience the chance to improve their game and learn from a certified junior heavyweight ace. So if you are a pro wrestler and you're listening and you're interested, I would highly recommend you make your way out to California for that seminar. Last two bits of news, Rocky Romero is the new CMLL World Historic Welterweight champion he defeated volador jr in arena mexico this past friday night that entire event was made available for free on youtube and you can watch that now and from what i understand i've been told i haven't seen it yet we're talking about a near match of the year contender between him and volador jr yeah i've been and, hearing rave reviews about this match yeah so i'm gonna definitely watch this um if you haven't seen it i would say go out of your way and catch it now before it gets taken off YouTube, uh, which is definitely a possibility. But this title, you know, there's a lot of titles in Mexico, especially in CMLL, but there's one belt for a decade that has been associated with top star Volador Jr. And that's the end or the former NWA world historic middle or welterweight title. This is a guy that's held that for like, I think he's only not held it for like a 200 plus day period in the last decade. And he's defended it like, just to put it in context, there are times where guys will be champion for years and defend like two or three times. He's had title reigns where he's defended this belt like 16, 11, like I think he's got like close to 30-something title defenses cumulative between his three reigns. So the idea that they like took the belt off of him and put it on Rocky, nothing against Rocky. Rocky's, you know, our good friend on the show, but like I don't think anybody expected – Volador to drop the title to Rocky Romero like by any measure because he's only ever dropped it to like La Sombra and I think he dropped it one time to uh who's the guy from the kingdom uh Matt Taven he dropped it to Matt Taven briefly and he dropped it to La Sombra so like this is his third time losing the title and he dropped it to Rocky so like I definitely want to catch that match uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about it here for excursion match of the week here in the next couple weeks or sometime so yeah check that match out very glad. Congratulations, Rock. And then finally, Sunday, February 19th, live in Southampton 22, Will Ospreay will be taking on Leighton Buzzard for Rev Pro. Yeah, don't know who that is, but I guess you know Will Ospreay. He's, he's starting from Bro, the bottom. what are you talking about? You don't know Leighton Buzzard? <laughs> supposed to be a wrestling analyst. <laughs> Ospreay starting at the bottom, you know, from Rev Pro. He's going to take on, you know, the very openers so that work their way back up to the, to the main event. He's, he's going to walk in and he's like, started from the bottom and I, I guess I'm here. Uh, <laughs> he's going to face the Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> yeah. Leighton Buzzard. That sounds like like one of the characters from like The Fiend. <laughs> Bro, yeah. 
All right, we have a few questions here that we'll run through and then a uh, recommended match of the week. Uh, so Hawaiian Punch BV says, Elidaman recently dropped his G-Rex championship to former Dragon Gate wrestler Kaito Ishida. What's baffling is that he lost the title to Ishida on a smaller show when he just beat Ishida on a bigger show very recently. Do you think this means that New Japan has plans for Elidaman and wanted to free him up for more dates? Um... Could be possible based on the indications you've given. Um, I don't know that much about it. I do think that there was a concern growing amongst amongst the fan base that like there was no one left in Glate that could beat L. Lindemann because he'd already successfully beat almost every top star, and it was going to take someone from outside to come in and credibly defeat him for the title for things to continue. And obviously it didn't go that way, but that's something that I heard people saying time and time again. So they went a different way and went with uh, one of their talents, which, you know, a defector from Dragon Gate, Ishida. But uh, I haven't heard anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he did have intentions to come here. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them doing that. You know, I feel like he's made a great impression in Super Juniors and Super Junior Tag League. I can definitely see them wanting to, Use him more, so yeah, maybe that's uh, part of the reason why he dropped the belt there. Also asked, if Norzuki could merge his two new trios teams together, would Suzuki Gun 2.0 be your favorite stable? A stable of Suzuki, Noroki Doi, Hokuto Omora, El Esperado, and Renarita sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't really follow, like, again, I think he's teaming with Doi and uh, Omori, what, in All Japan, I think, right? Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I don't, I mean, like, I know Naroki Doi from, like, uh, well, he's, like, a Dragon Geek guy, right? Yeah, then he, wasn't he, like, on uh, Ring of Honor when they did some of those crossover shows? Dragon yeah, 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 like, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't really know Hakotu Amori, to be honest. So, <laughs> I would rather just, if, if, if this is the, like, fantasy route we're going, I'd rather just have Suzuki Goon. Yeah. <laughs> Not just four guys. <laughs> uh, then he says some fight talk. How do you feel about some of the domestic violence caused by these fighters recently? Javante Davis striking a woman and the woman walking back on her ac- ac- accusations. Phil Baroni murdering his girlfriend in Mexico. Dana White slapping his wife in the media, just kind of brushing it aside. Um, man. Uh, pretty loaded. I didn't catch anything about the Gervonta Davis situation. Obviously, we don't condone uh, that sort of like domestic violence. Um, so that's not good if that's the case. But I didn't hear anything about it. Obviously, like I don't know. I don't know what there is much to discuss here. Like Phil Baroni, you know, he murdered his girlfriend, and it's uh, not good. And obviously, Dana White slapped his wife. And people did brush aside. That's not good. Also, I will say Dana White slapped her husband. That's not good. You know, domestic violence on either side of the table is not good. You know, right. And then uh, TBS, you know, continues to put on, you know, right after they put on slap fight and the opening shot, Dana White saying it's really great when you can just you know slap the crap out of somebody you don't like. (laughs) (laughs) It's not in good taste. Honestly, everything I'll tell you right now, I don't fucking like slap fight. I kind of thought that maybe I've, I've seen some slap fighting just a little bit in the past, obviously not enough to be fully like, (laughs) um, 
familiar with it, but like some of the stuff I've seen has not been as visceral or violent as what was presented on that TBS show. Like I see people like eat the slap and like, you know, they're like flinching or clubbing and there's all these like weird technical rules going back and forth, blah, blah, blah. But like on that TBS show, like people were getting murked bad, really bad. And I was like, Oh my God, this is the word. I turned it off halfway through the show. I, I shouldn't even kept it on that long, but like, yeah, it was disgusting. It's one of the most grotesque things. Someone will die. That girl, that girl, the Mohawk that got knocked out and she rolled, she could have broken her neck. She could have died right there. Like it was so that, that whole thing is fucking gross. Yeah. I, I didn't watch any of it. I turned off TBS as soon as dynamite was over. You know, I, I think it's pretty ridiculous that TBS will allow somebody who had a domestic violence case for slapping air their power slap show, but not let uh, AW do a Jay Briscoe tribute show. Uh, I think that's pretty ridiculous. So, yeah, kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, he also asked, "What do you think about the UFC not resigning Francis Ngannou?" Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that wanted to do outside projects, and he also was wanting to get paid more, and he was also wanting other things that should realistically, although it's not part of their business plan, like they should be there. He, he wants health insurance for the fighters. He wants them to be able to get sponsorships outside of just uh, Venom or whoever, or Reebok or whoever it is that does their, uh, you know, uniforms nowadays. And he was trying to get like uni- unionization type of deals for these guys or uh, lobby, it, not unionization, but he wanted them to have advocates to fight for them when there's a dispute between them and the company. These are all things that, you know, um, Endeavor and th- that group d- do not want to occur or exist. So, you know, they tried to spin it in the media that this guy doesn't want to fight and that he's afraid. Like, come on, Francis Ngannou, the scariest man that has ever walked or fought <laughs> in combat sports, is afraid. Like, let's get real. But it is very interesting because... You know, we're getting a fight between Cyril Gaon and John Jones, which is very interesting. And I'm very excited for it. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter who wins because they will not, in the eyes of the, the most of the public, really be considered the true heavyweight champion. Everybody knows that the baddest man walking the planet is Francis Ngannou. And he's going to go elsewhere. And I don't think that this has happened since, like, the last two times where the world champion wasn't in the UFC was like in the heyday of like Fedor Emelianenko. And prior to that, when Randy Couture walked out of the company as the champion and went to fight in Japan. So yeah, it's very interesting, but um, yeah. And I know there's um, a lot of potential for Nanganu doing a boxing match with the gypsy King Tyson Fury. Um, there's a, a big boxing payday he can get there, and there's a lot of rumors people saying, yeah, he wants this, this boxing payday. That's and, on the table. There's also a uh, Deontay Wilder fight on the table potentially as well, which is like the two hardest strikers in the history of their collective sports fighting each other. Whew, that's scary. I, I do think that Francis Ngannou will get probably knocked out by either of those guys, though. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Les Commission seven two five two. Have you guys seen the would love to see in the G one trend on the NJPW Reddit page? It had guys like Brian Danielson, Chris Benoit, Kaito Kiyomiya, Tyson O'Neill, and more. 
Yeah, it just kind of became like a trolley thing. It was kind of funny though. Yeah, I mean, it started yeah, started off serious and yeah, got <laughs> got super trolled. Uh, next question here from MCW one 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 nine eight six: Are they rerunning the Naito versus Jericho feud with Omega and Osprey? Jericho beat Naito convincingly for the IC belt and then faced an LJ member Eel for the belt before Naito got the win back. Omega Osprey has started similarly, and Cobb looks next for Omega. Um, I think there's some similarities there. I don't think it's the exact same booking, though. Yeah, kind yeah, kind of similar, uh, but yeah, not quite the same. But I mean, who knows? I mean, Omega could run through more Empire guys or have more challengers before Osprey even gets another crack. Uh, Grunty Dodd says, "After three years, I finally got COVID. What tournament from before 2019 should I watch while I'm stuck at home?" Ooh. Um... That's a great question. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about a 2018 G1? Probably. I think the 2017 and the 2018. Actually, the 2014 G1 is incredible as well. I don't know. Go to cage match. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I hope you feel better, Grunty Dots. Uh, okay, okay, 890 says, Desperado is booked for a Noah show. Do you think Despy is going to be a free, going to be freelancing a bit more this year? That must be why the no Saba run guy thing happened at the end of that show. Maybe I guess it's that booking up. Probably because I, I don't know. I don't even, what, what is, I haven't seen anything about Desperado working. Noah. Did you see anything about that? No, I was looking, I didn't see like any match graphics or official announcement. Uh, it must've been posted somewhere, but I, I haven't been able to see where, what match it is. Seems like the door's open for all these guys to do more outside booking dates, which is pretty cool regardless. Yeah. Uh, Slamlord69, if the loser leaves town, stipulation in Jay White's upcoming match against Galeo is more than a short-term storyline and has actual ramifications, is there any concern with the status of Jay White and NJPW? If Jay leaves, how bad is that for New Japan? If he stays, what needs to happen for the company to make the most out of having one of the top wrestlers in the world who has no, collect, no clear direction right now? Pretty simple, guys. If you've been watching New Japan for any length of time, you'll know that stars go and they build new stars in their place. If if he left, would it be a hit to some degree? Sure. Absolutely. Would there be hungry talent waiting in the wings, ready to fill his shoes? Absolutely. And if you're saying to yourself, he's so great, can't be done. Well, it's been done many times before. Shinsuke Nakamura left. New Japan was fine. Prince Devitt left. New Japan was fine. AJ Styles left. New Japan was fine. Kenny Omega left. New Japan was fine. So I'm not that worried about it. But um, do I think that if he stays, this company really needs to think long and hard about how they utilize their talent and what they want to do with the guy? Absolutely. Because... I think Jay White's incredible, but they haven't used him like he's been incredible in quite a while. And if they're going to keep him, you should use him better. Yeah, there there needs to be a big shift in his presentation and the character if he does end up staying around. And I absolutely agree with you. If he does end up leaving New Japan and going to WWE or AEW, it's going to be just fine. The pipeline is loaded up. With young talent, you got Umino and Narita fighting for their spots right now. You have um, LA Dojo guys waiting in the wings, Coglin, Gabe Kidd, Connors, all those guys. You have the 
the pipeline, the Fale Dojo that's being built up. You have a, a ton of guys from Impact Partnerships, all the domestic partnerships. Like, there's so much talent available to New Japan right now. I think it's going to be very easy for them to, um, you know, fill that hole and kind of keep the machine rolling on. Uh, next question here. Let's question seven two five two. What was the best outcome from the start of the twenty twenty to the current product from today? The biggest to me is Yoshihashi rejuvenating his career and becoming one of New Japan's favorites. Alongside that, as Will Osprey, in my opinion, being the top guy wrestler in Japan, the Never Six Man Belt being defended more and having recognition. I don't know. I mean, that's <laughs> there's twenty twenty to twenty twenty three. There's a lot that's occurred between now and then, and there's things that were great, and then turn not so great. There were things that were not so great that turned around to being great. I mean, I could point to like, say Kota Ibushi, for example, who's no longer with the company. And that whole story turned out to be pretty terrible, but for a long, for a little while there, he would have been one of the highlights of that period of time. Um, I think for me, probably the elevation of particular talents stand out the most to me, like El Desperado, or Shingo Takagi, um, or Will Ospreay, just to name a few. Yeah, for me, it would definitely be the elevation of Will Ospreay and Shingo Takagi uh, into the main event scene. Those guys pretty much carried New Japan on their backs during the the pandemic and had incredible matchups in a clap crowd environment. Uh, last question here. Actually, I think this is more of a statement here uh, from Doctor Larry the Dark. He says, "I want to be the guy to say Sasha is a bad promo and just an okay wrestler, but she is shit compared to the top card in High Speed Girls. Sasha lacks the speed, physicality, and technique to make it in stardom. She's lucky to have come up in a world where her simp's go hard online." I just want to say Dr. Larry in the dark. <laughs> you don't know shit about wrestling. I don't have much more to say. I mean, <laughs> like uh, he does have some valid points, but like you negate everything that you're saying by saying that Sasha is a bad wrestler. Um, it's just not true. You know, like anyone that has ever wrestled, or watch like anyone that's ever wrestled will tell you like she's fantastic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now am I saying that she is the best wrestler in the world and as good as those girls in stardom? No. Do I think that there's probably a learning curve involved, especially when it comes to working different styles? Absolutely. And do I share my concerns about everything revolving Sasha <laughs> when it comes to New Japan and her and business and, you know, stardom and all that. Like, there's a lot to kind of unpack there, and we're running in a long show. So, I mean, I don't think now is the time to have that conversation. We've alluded to some of it, but, like, I'm sorry, bro. Like, when you tell me that Sasha is just an okay wrestler, that's not true. Like, and if you think she's just an okay wrestler, you need to have your eyes checked. Sasha Banks for better or for worse, no matter how you feel about her, no matter what you think, is bar none the single greatest female talent in the history of North America, period. Yeah, I mean, through her matches, obviously in NXT, obviously that really brought the rise of the quote-unquote women's revolution 
in WWE. And I would say, you know, the kind of rise of people kind of changing their tune on women's wrestling in North America. Um, and yeah, Sasha is absolutely incredible uh, talent and to be able to do what she did in the WWE environment to show you how great she is. And like you're saying, yeah, maybe she's not a, as great as, you know, uh, Mayu Yutani or Kyrie or whoever, but, um, she has, it's a different style. Yeah. And she, she's going to have to acclimate to that style, but, uh, based off of her previous work, I don't see why she would, shouldn't be able to do that. Right. I mean, she does have like issues with injuries and stuff like that. And that might come into play here. Like, do I think she's about that life? Do I think she's going to like take head kicks from Shuri and like, you know, get fucking busted by these girls? Like, no, I don't think she, I don't think she's about that. But is this a person that's, you know, really passionate about wrestling and like wants to put their best foot forward, you know, and, and all that. Absolutely. We didn't even get into that pro. We probably should have talked about it on this episode. We don't have time now, but like yeah. that promo, my God, that <laughs> promo video, not only is that bad on her, and we'll talk about it next week, but like not only was that bad on her, that's bad on New Japan's production team. That, that was a pre-tape promo. They can't fucking fix a pre-tape promo. <laughs> what, is, what are we doing? <laughs> Whoever put that video together for her needs to be fired, and they need, she needs help, bro. She needs help. She is a bad promo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, close. But also, dark, Dr. Larry in the dark. You don't know shit. <laughs> uh, let's close with our recommended match of the week here. Uh, so last week for the uh, recommended match of the week, I recommended uh, Kenny Omega versus uh, Nakajima from the G1 2016. What do you think about that match? Um, It was pretty good. Um. Considering the talent involved, it's kind of like one of those, wow, this is pretty cool. I never knew it happened, but it's not quite the level that you would expect considering who was involved in it. But then again, it's sort of a crossroads match. You're getting Nakajima as he's this like young future ace for Noah. He just signed with the company. There's all this buzz behind him, but he's sort of in that young up-and-coming even though he'd been wrestling for a while and he was like a well-known commodity for Noah, he's this young up and coming guy. And then you've got Kenny Omega who's deep in the midst of his goofy leader of bullet club kind of like persona. You know what I mean? Like right. He's deep deep in, the, in the cleaner. Yeah. Anime deep in the cleaner era. <laughs> so a lot of it was, Kenny Omega getting heat and building up for a comeback from Nakajima. And most of the match was pretty unremarkable, but the it's like a 10, maybe 12 minute match, but the last few minutes are dynamic. They start going into crazy sequences, really cool stuff. And then finally, boom, just like that one winged angel and it's over. Um, so I think these guys could have a fantastic match in the future. This wasn't quite that. It was sort of like, you know, middle of the road G1 night. And as I mentioned previously, this wasn't like Omega. This is where the, like the legend of Omega as a heavyweight did come from, but it's really built off the back of the last two nights of his G1. He didn't have like a stellar 2016 G1. The, his G1s after that are like where he was like having out of this world performances. This one wasn't really that, but uh, I'd still go like three and a half on the match. It was, it was good. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I never knew it happened. And it, well, I mean, I did, but for many people probably are like, I never knew it happened. And if you're fans of the guys, you might want to check it out. Nice. 
Then for excursion match of the week, recommended uh, Tom Waller versus Shibata from the Inoki Bombay show that happened last month. And check this out. And you know, it was a I don't know what the official rules were, but it was kind of worked as like a you know MMA kind of shoot style. It's a, it's a UWFI Styles rules match. I didn't know the official rules either, but I assume, like, in, in UWFI, you had points, and if you grabbed, you would lose, like, you had a certain number of points, and you would lose those points if you either got dropped or if you grabbed the ropes. And you could lose the match by losing all your points, or if the, the match went to a time limit draw, whoever had less points was the loser. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I don't know how many they had. I just know, like, grabbing the ropes or getting knocked down is really bad. So Yeah, and there was one, at one point in the match where the, the ref threw a yellow card out on uh, Shibata. Yeah. Um, and he was doing That's that. where you lose, like, in kayfabe, I think you lose, like, 15 or 25% of your purse because you cheated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it was a very, like, grapple-heavy match. And, I mean, I thought the grappling was good. There was a lot of great, like, submission exchanges. Um, and I know that this was, you know, not a traditional pro wrestling match. But for me, like, I see Shibata and I see Tom Lawler. And, like, I want to see, you know, more pro wrestling stuff. I want to see these guys, yeah. you know, especially after seeing Shibata wrestle Orange Cassidy. Like, I want to see these guys do some more pro wrestling, do some more suplexes, kicks, and stuff like that. And there was some of that in here. You know, there were several PKs. Lawler did do that big um, kind of Uranagi-style maneuver that he does. He got a, a near knockout uh, on, on that. Uh, but, yeah, it was more of, you know, if you're a big, I think, you know, grappling kind of fan, this is definitely a match for you. There's a lot of great, again, grappling exchanges, near submissions uh, between these guys. Uh, but uh, in the end, uh, Shibata was able to uh, get the victory over Tom Lawler. Yeah, I liked this a lot. I thought, I think today there's almost nobody that's better at working while shooting as Tom Waller is, and Shibata's not far from him, and I I thought that this was really compelling, but, you know, probably not enough juice to, like, give it an excursion match of the year, like, recommendation or anything like that, but for what it was, I mean, I've seen shoot-style matches that were far less than this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, where would you go, like, ratings-wise in this one? I know it's tough to rate that. I don't know, maybe, guess maybe like three and a half, I guess. Yeah, I'd probably go like three and three quarters. So, yeah. um, Cool. So I will be doing the recommended match of the week, and, I, you know, I'm just kind of missing Fantastica Mania. So, you know, I'm thinking maybe we go back. You know, I gave you a shoot-style match last week. Maybe this week I give you some Lucha. So we're going to go to the main event of... New Japan presents CMLL Fantasca Mania 2017 Night 7 The main event Volador Jr. versus Ultimo Guerrero Nice And this received four and a half stars From Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Nice, that should be uh, fun to check out And a nice little tease to get us ready for Fantastica Mania uh, next month uh, then for the excursion match of the week, going to go with the uh, TNT title match that happened last Wednesday on AEW Dynamite. Darby Allen defending the title against Takushita. Yeah, I saw this, but I need to rewatch it because I was a little bit inebriated when I watched it. So I, I remember liking it, but I don't remember how good it actually was. So. <laughs> 
maybe I'll check that out again and um looking forward to it because the match was pretty great. Yeah, it was uh, an awesome matchup. Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here. Next week, we will be back to review these uh, Road to New Beginning shows. I believe we'll be probably previewing New Beginning in Sapporo. Uh, so if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me jeremy at socialsuplex.com and check out all the other shows that we have here on the social suplex podcast network one inch radio hosted by rich Latta and james boyd the grave consequences hosted by caleb maserati all things elite hosted by floyd and austin the aw match guy podcast hosted by sir sam and the great match generator hosted by danny don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review and we will catch you next week on keeping a strong style the ace of podcasts itchy bye thank you for listening to keeping it strong style we'll see you next time <laughs>